Welcome back, Fact or Fantasy fanatics. You know who it is. It's Chase and Josh with Fact or Fantasy. That's Chase. I'm Josh, and we are back with another installment of the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire series. Today, we will be tackling chapters number 15 through chapters 22. But first and foremost, guys, we want to say it. We made it through 2020. It's officially 2021. Happy New Year to all you guys. I hope this year is full of nothing but blessings and happiness for you. And uh, on top of that, we are Chase and I are two days away. So January 5th is when we recorded our very first podcast episode ever. We are two days away from our one-year anniversary. So I'll let Chase say a few words on that because I know him as well as myself are super stoked to have made it this far this quickly and we're only getting started so take it away my man how's this feel yeah it feels feels uh you know i don't like using foul language but in the words of you hot damn (laughs) it feels good man it's great um thanks to you guys out there you know a year ago we say this all the time we had no idea this would be where it is today at all Uh, i mean just the things we've been announced like how we've been able to grow as far as audio equipment and everything, just from from you guys being loyal from the beginning, right? Um, and I mean, going from Game of Thrones, which I know a lot of people, that was like our first kind of big arc, right? Um, and a lot of people haven't even really seen Game of Thrones versus like Harry Potter. Like the majority of audiences have really seen Harry Potter. Like hopping on that from the beginning, and that was like a difficult really a difficult dive just to be thrown in there from the beginning and y'all stuck with us it worked out great um and you know just uh from day one even like the mcu the pilot episodes they're still <laughs> hanging in there man so it, it just means a lot uh everything y'all do for us we always want to let you know you know uh, every time we see a subscribe a review um, go follow us on Instagram. Uh, we really do appreciate that, and it, we do take notice to it. So, uh, but yeah, man, uh, especially going into Goblet of Fire today, this is really when we're in the thick of it. Like this is the nitty gritty detail. I mean, Josh uh, Jay Nelly was laughing at me last night because I made one of those mistakes where I'm like, you know, this isn't gonna be too bad. I can do all this in one night. Yeah, I talked to him like. Right before we were ready to roll this morning, I was like, yeah, yeah, you went on that one, man. Uncle Josh had to teach me a lesson there, that's for sure. This is his book. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Yeah, see, I didn't really teach you much of a lesson. I think your own your own mistakes and lack of sleep taught you a lesson <laughs> there. Uh, you know, it's tough to tackle so many chapters into one night. Because if you guys don't know, if you've ever done any sort of studying, it's not just reading the material. It's also note-taking and highlighting certain key aspects and then... So that can take upwards of hours. So if I'm not mistaken, you didn't sleep at all. You straight up went through the whole night and you're still awake <laughs> from yesterday. Is that right? Yeah, I guess we can talk <laughs> about that for a minute. I mean, it's not anything. See, other, I guess other people, right? Um, not being criticism of anyone else, but when a lot of people say they've been up all night, <laughs> they mean, ah, oh, you know, I stayed up till five in the morning, four in the morning, even 6 a.m., when Jay Nelly and I say we've been up all night, it's because we didn't go to sleep. <laughs> like, we're still up doing what we're about to do. So, yeah, that happened. I was fighting against the clock, uh, just like when you and I wrote our Game of Thrones scripts back in the day. <laughs> we were, like, you know, busting it out, trying to meet the deadline. 
that's exactly what I was doing here, and I barely pulled it off, but, you know, I'm here this morning with you guys, <laughs> so that's uh, uh, definitely a big deal, and, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, Jay Nelly and I, we really know our stuff, especially from a Harry Potter standpoint, but as far as the content we give you guys, we like to give it detailed to the point of we're really uncomparable here, and that's not being cocky or, or anything. It's just it really is like you're really not going to have a podcast that's going to have the format or the content uh, and the work that we'll put into it for you guys. So it's like my old football coach said a long time ago. He said, you might not be the biggest team, but you will be the most conditioned team. And believe it or not, I, I learned it last night. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's funny uh, when you talk about like your, your coach's sayings. I think we've all... Uh had some great sayings. One of my, like my football coach, he always used to say, adversity introduces a man to himself. I always thought that was really cool. And so now we get to see the measure of it because, you know, not only is it the hard work, it's also, you know, not just doing it, but then presenting it right after. See, I was, I, guys, I will, I will toot my own on here. I was smart. I got it done early in the week, my research. So I got to sleep last night. Uh, but uh, Chase, he, he, He's gonna be uh, he's gonna be more proactive and not so much procrastinating in the future. <laughs> if I were to bet, I would say that. And then, you know, in the words of one of my favorite rappers, you know, people call me Jay Nelly because my name's Joshua Nelson. So you take the J from Joshua and obviously Nelly from Nelson. Well, Nelly the rapper is one of my favorite rappers growing up, like favorite party rapper. And one of his uh, songs uh, it says, uh, "If if hard work pays off, then easy work is worthless." So that's why we do what we do. We put the hard work in because we know it's going to pay off at the end. So if we were just going to make it easy and, and uh, water it down, we wouldn't have the following that we do now. We wouldn't be traje- trajecting uh, in the path that we are as well. So with that yeah. being said, guys, I think we, we go ahead and start tackling uh, what we came here to do. Uh, you know, Did it's you wanna, 2021. Uh, Oh, yeah, Sorry, you're right. The good call. Yeah. yeah, let's talk a little bit about the because uh, we always have to do this for the people who aren't watching on their YouTube channel. Uh, if you're just checking in on audio, let me paint the picture visually for you with my words. Uh, we added a couple new wrinkles to the visuals that you're seeing on the YouTube channel. Myself, most of what you see is the same with the Funkos and the book and the movie, but uh, I actually was dropped off by your very own Chase Brown on the other side of the screen there. Uh, he provided me with the Triwizard Cup here that you're seeing. It's taken the place of what I usually have my special Mufasa uh, cup that I made. So today, and through the rest of Goblet of Fire, the Triwizard Cup is going to take the place of my cup. And uh, who knows, I think we're possibly thinking about putting some something in there once it gets cleaned out and uh, lighten it yeah, up so man. you can see it with some uh, cool liquid lit, lit up on the inside. It's going to be really cool. So... Chase, talk about some of the new, yeah, absolutely. And then, so talk about some of the new uh, visuals you have on your end, because I see a nice little something over there that sticks out, catching my eye, that big thing over in the corner. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. So one thing I did do last night was I was able to, you know, go, I was able to make the fun part of the, of the research and and studying by making the trip over to Jay Nelly's house. (laughs) So that was like the fun part. Wasn't fun when I came back, <laughs> but it's uh, all for you guys. It's good stuff, man. On this end, uh, so we don't want to give away any spoilers if you haven't seen the show, um, but I'll give you a hint. Uh, if you're not watching on the YouTube, which you can always go watch, uh, it'll be up on our website. It's also on YouTube, so if you go to ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com, which you guys, by the way, that's a big part because we do see we get a lot of 
uh, it's called Google Chrome or like Safari for our, our listeners and all that comes through there. So it really means a lot to us. You do that and then follow along with the iconic moments of the, of the film, right? Um, but just a little hint for you, the big things we have here, well, it's gold. <laughs> it has no curves and uh, you might be seeing it in one of the tasks, really two of the tasks coming up. Um, definitely one and then leading into maybe another one so <laughs> y'all can go check that out on our end uh the funko pop that kind of goes along with it um i got harry over there and then he is holding uh what is kind of that spoiler alert moment there which listen to this episode and you'll find out about that <laughs> so with that i'll let you dive right into it man cool brother all right sounds like a plan to me uh so we talked about it. we're tackling chapters 15 through 21 this week and then next week we'll be hitting uh, chapters 23 through 28. So we're going to start with our favorite moments. We're going to stick with the same format. Me saying about five, Chase saying about five until we finish favorite moments. Jumping into our foreshadowed events afterwards. Then any plot holes either of us potentially found. And then we'll finish up with our interesting facts. Because our top five magical creatures will come at the very last episode of the Goblet of Fire. Which is great because that's going to be an action-packed filled episode in a couple weeks. So, really excited for that. But without further ado, let's jump into our favorite moments. Let's get one great Malice in the Chalice to start the new year, malice brother. Malice in the Chalice. I'm going yeah, to cheers to the Triwizard Cup. Man. I know there's nothing in it, but I'm going to fake drink <laughs> out of it. You're good. Hey, 2021, let's hope this is the, the year, man. 2020, we all know that was a challenge. It was a challenge, but we overcame the challenges, and we're going to... And not only us, you all did too. If you're listening, you made it through... This is a new year full of new possibilities and opportunities. Embrace it as such. And you know what? Here we go, guys. I'm going to start right here with my favorite moments on page 228, which is the start of chapter 15. I'm going to read Harry's letter to Sirius because if you guys remember from last week, kind of where we left off was Sirius basically saying that uh, he's going to be flying north, like entering the country again, going close to Hogwarts and... Harry is nervous that he's going to get caught. So Harry's like mad at himself for bothering Sirius with the news about his scar from the dream. And the letter that Harry writes back is, Dear Sirius, I reckon I just imagined my scar hurting. I was half asleep when, he wrote, when I wrote to you last time. There's no point in coming back. Everything's fine here. Don't worry about me. My head feels completely normal. Harry. So he's trying to prevent Sirius from coming back because there's a big risk. Because if you guys remember from Prisoner of Azkaban... Sirius Black escaped, and he's innocent, but unfortunately so did Peter Pettigrew, and so no one's there to... So everyone still thinks in the Wizarding World Sirius is guilty, so he needs to avoid, you know, being seen, which is great, because he's an animagus, so it's, it's easier for him to do that than most people, but... Um, one thing I thought was pretty cool is the description of the Owlry right on the next page. I want to talk a little bit about what the Owlry looks like. So the Owl, Owlry was a circular stone room rather cold and drafty because none of the windows had glass in them. The floor was entirely covered in straw, owl droppings, and the regurgitated skeletons of mice and voles. Hundreds upon hundreds of owls of every breed imaginable were nestled there on perches that rose right up to the top of the tower, nearly all of them asleep, though there, here and there there were round amber glare eye at Harry. He spotted Hegwig nestled between a barn owl and a tawny, hurried over to her and sliding a little dropping stone floor. So that's a little quick brief visual description of what the owlry looks like because you don't if you weren't thinking about it you might not have noticed what how it's described right um next thing 
is uh, what I have for page 229. Hermione kind of gets angry with Harry. She tells him, you know, that was a lie, Harry. You didn't imagine your scar hurting, and you know it. So, it's like, a, it's like right now there's, there's a conflicted emotions inside Harry because he doesn't want Sirius to come back and get caught, but he is nervous because he knows his scar did hurt. Hermione's like, no, you did the right thing in telling the truth. You shouldn't have wrote back and lied to him. He's your godfather. He deserves to know the truth. He's here to help and protect you. Like, he's also an adult, so he may know more than your 14-year-old ass, right? So maybe maybe <laughs> we should just uh, let the big boys handle the big boy stuff. And then the last thing I'll have before I turn it over to you is Professor Moody announces that he's going to put the class under the Imperious Curse to demonstrate its power and see whether they can resist its effects. So, um, actually, you know what? What I want to do is I actually... You know, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. I was going to actually read the effects thing, but I'll let you catch up with any in between, then we'll go into the effects of the Imperious Curse. Oh, you're good. You actually hit all the exact ones I had. Like, I had the one where, you know, Sirius, he's regretting... Uh, the only little extra thing I had in that is basically that Harry is regretting writing to Sirius in the fear of um, if he writes back to him, they'll find out exactly where he is, and then he could wind up back in Azkaban. Uh, but no, you. I think that's great. Take it away, because I love the Imperious one. The first thing I was thinking just uh, before you take it over real quick is just... <laughs> Moody is really a piece of work. Like, who would ever want to actually try this on your students? Like, we saw, going back to last episode when we were talking about how McGonagall freaked out alone on him turning Malfoy into a ferret. Now he's trying to want, literally trying one of the three unforgivable curses on his own students. Like, does any of that ever spark a that's a no to you? Like, that's a... That's probably a red flag, but I'll turn it over to you, man. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, so what I have to start, like, the intro into the Imperious Curse is Moody's talking. He says, Dumbledore wants you taught what it feels like, his magical eye swiveling onto Hermione and fixing her with an eerie, unblinking stare. If you'd rather learn the hard way when someone's putting it on you so they control you, control you completely, fine by me. You're excused. Off you go. And he pointed one gnarled finger towards the door. And Hermione went very pink and muttered something about not meaning that she wanted to leave. And it's funny because, you know, Harry and Ron start laughing because they know Hermione would rather eat uh, booba tuber puss than miss such an important lesson, which is <laughs> kind of cool. Uh, but in terms of the Imperious Curse itself, uh, Harry, like, so Moody began to beckon students forward and in turn put the Imperious Curse on him. So Harry watched as one by one his classmates did the most extraordinary things under its influence. Dean Thomas hopped three times around the room singing the national anthem. Lavender Brown imitated a squirrel. Neville performed a series of quite astonishing gymnastics he would certainly not have been capable of in his normal state. And not one of them seemed to be able to fight off the curse, and each of them recovered only when Moody had removed it. So then what happens is, is after Harry seeing all these things happen to his classmates, then it's Harry's turn. And Harry kind of recalls being put underneath the Imperious Curse. He said it was like it was almost like complete bliss. He didn't have a care in the world. He had to make no decisions. His brain was almost completely blank. Then there was like a voice telling him what to do. It was Professor Moody's voice. And he said, uh, you know, echoing in some distant chamber of his empty brain, jump onto the desk. Jump onto the desk. And Harry bent his knees obediently, preparing to spring. Jump onto the desk. Why, though, another voice had awoken in the back of his brain. Stupid thing to do, really, said the voice. Jump onto the desk. No, I don't think I will, thanks, said the other voice a little more firmly. No, I don't really want to. Jump now! And the next thing Harry felt was considerable pain. 
He had both jumped and tried to prevent himself from jumping. The result was that he smashed headlong into the desk, knocking it over. And by the feeling in his legs, he fractured both his kneecaps. But Moody said, now that's more like it. He's like, look at that, you lot. Potter fought. He fought it and he damn near beat it. We'll try that again, Potter. And the rest of you pay attention. Watch his eyes. That's where you see it. Very good, Potter. Very good indeed. They'll have trouble controlling you. <laughs> and so then he, he had proceeded to put him through the paces four more times until Harry was able to throw off the Imperius curse completely. So that's pretty crazy uh, that you can have full control over somebody. But Harry, he always seems to have some sort of like, he is the defense against the dark arts, right? Voldemort tried to kill him back when he's a baby. He, he couldn't touch him. That we know why that was because of, of, of the love bind he had with his mother. But uh, you know, now all these other dark curses, Harry has great resistance to dark magic, and I love it. But with that being said, brother, it's on you. Yeah, man. Uh, so the next thing I had after that, well, I did have, I guess, this little part at the very end, which was kind of cool about what you were saying. But like right towards the end of that little interaction with, with Moody there was, so right after that, Professor Benz was having his class write weekly essays on goblin rebellions in the 18th century so i thought that was pretty interesting that'll actually go into my interesting facts later uh, not really important i just thought it was kind of cool um professor snape then after that uh then has them do research on antidotes and they were looking um at actually uh this is what's really messed up that i uh i won't read the dialogue <laughs> But this is messed up. This is why I wrote it down. He's basically having them make antidotes for poison. <clears throat> and excuse me there. And <laughs> he wants them to test it out on themselves. And it even comes up even a little bit like later that we really get into it. Like especially Harry much later where he's like, no, you're going to test out your, your poison. We want to make sure your antidote works <laughs> to cure the poison. Like, what is... I'm a Snape guy, and I love Snape, but how messed up is that? Like, you could potentially kill somebody. Like, I get it. You have Madame Pomfrey up there in the hospital wing, but what if you couldn't get to him fast enough? Like, you just had your own student poison himself because you told well, him... Well, keep in to. mind, Snape's a master's, like a potion master, so he could probably whip up an yeah. antidote to the poison himself. If you know, he's not, probably. Dumbledore's not going to let any of his students die. Well, foreshadow. But, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like you, know what I, you know what I mean? Like, he's not going to, you know, make it so Snape can yeah. actually kill his students. But it just... Yeah. You're right, it's kind of messed up that he would be like, well, I can't wait to harm you guys and then fix you and, and claim the credit because I'm a potions master. <laughs> oh, yeah. It kind of makes you wonder, like, you have this big back and forth with these two that I think very kind of similar in a sick, sadistic way. So you have Moody, Alistair Moody, and then you have Cerberus Snape. They hate each other, really, I would say. Like, really, I don't know if they hate is the word, but really antagonistic definitely i would say um, they hate each they, other for sure would like, you say hate? they hate oh absolutely word, but... from what we find out especially the foreshadow what yeah. we find out what we need to find out he hates him mm. and there's yeah, a line i, I don't know i think that. i don't know if it's this week or next week that we'll read it i don't remember i have it written down in the notes but there's a line that moody says um i won't give it away but he yeah, says something about uh what he hates the most in the world and um yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit it's a yeah. big one. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it's funny just to think about like how 
really sick and sadistic these two are because they know they're not going to wind up killing these people. Just like how you had Moody just use an Imperious Curse. Now you have Snape telling his students, well, we want to see how, see how behind you really are. <laughs> have you test your own antidote and see if it actually works and poison yourself. <laughs> so I just thought it was very, very, uh, I guess, ironic about those two. And with that, I'll let you uh, take it over, man. So well, there's one thing right before that that I had notated just because it was funny. Uh, in the previous page there, Harry and Ron were actually amused when Professor Trelawney told them they received top marks for their homework in the next divination class. So yeah. they received oh, top cool. marks because what they did was they sat down and made up horrible things that would happen to them. And just like completely <laughs> made it up. But it was, like Professor Trelawney loved it, gave them top marks. So I thought that was really funny. Um, that was great. Yeah, and then the next thing I have afterwards, because like you said about the poisoning and the potions, I'm not going to double touch on that. Um, I have, you know, Professor Flitwick makes him read three extra books to prepare for the summoning charm. Now, I have that as like an impact moment, but also kind of a foreshadow too, the summoning charm there. Um, mm-hmm. Then going on here, I want to read in page 235, the notice of arrival from the other students from the other countries that were yep. uh, kind of announced last week when Dumbledore made the announcement of the Triwizard Tournament. So the notice says, Triwizard Tournament, the delegations from Bo Batons and Durmstrang will be arriving at 6 o'clock on Friday, the 30th of October. Lessons will end half an hour early. Students will return their bags and books to their dormitories and assemble in front of the castle to greet our guests before the welcoming feast. So now we have a date of when the other students from the other schools will be arriving, which is great. Um... I want to page 236, this last little line here, because they're all trying to make themselves look good for the other students. You know, almost like how your mom in the holidays wants your room and the house to look spotless when you were a kid growing up for company coming over. It's kind of like what's going on in the Hogwarts castle right now. They got company coming over, so they want it to be impressive for them. And so what (laughs) Mrs. McGonagall says to uh, Neville Longbottom, she says, Longbottom... Kindly do not reveal that you can't even perform a simple switching spell in front of anyone from Durmstrang. Professor McGonagall barked at the end of one <laughs> difficult lesson. So, And that was when Neville had accidentally transplanted his own ears on a cactus. So yeah, maybe Neville needs to stay out of the way for a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, yes. Then uh, from page 238, I'm going to go ahead and read just uh, from... This little part here, not in front of a panel of judges you haven't talking about. Because, like, what Ron was talking about was potentially entering the Triwizard Tournament. Just having, like, fun discussions with Harry. And you know, he's like, Harry, you know we've done a bunch of dangerous stuff before. And Fred says, not in front of a panel of judges you haven't. McGonagall says the champions get awarded points according to how well they've done the tasks. And he says, who are the judges? Well, the heads of the participating schools are always on the panel. And because all three of them were injured during the Triwizard Tournament of 1792 when a cockatrice the champions were supposed to be catching went on the rampage. So that kind of goes back into my interesting facts last mm-hmm. week. Now you have it put right into the book there. And with that, I'm going to let you take it, brother. Yeah, man. No, that's great. I do want to bring this up, too, because it's like I hate to like I don't like to just rag on the movie. But I did feel like the movie when I did watch it that it's they definitely try to make it more situations more than what they're really supposed to if that makes sense like when in the book when they're all just kind of coming in like these schools will describe you know they're just kind of like walking in there especially like victor crumb no spoiler alert but you know 
we'll find out in a minute, right? Those kind of people. But in, like in the <laughs> movie, they like do this dance with sticks or something. They're like stomping their sticks like they're they don't light them on fire, but I thought they were gonna like light them on fire or something. And then they do almost like a karate dance or something because they. I guess they thought the director thought that would be cool, but I don't ever recall that happening in the books. So just wanted to throw that out there. We'll get into differences much later on in a few weeks from now, but I just, I, some of the things I'm seeing, I just don't know. But uh, back to the good stuff. <laughs> Let's get back into the good stuff here. Um, so <laughs> back to my girl, man. She <laughs> goes, uh, into this whole situation where, you know, she's back on the house elf <laughs> deal right now. And um, so basically what happens is uh, she goes through all these books and she was like looking through Hogwarts history and she was saying not once in like a thousand pages did they ever mention like bringing liberation. This wasn't the exact words. She was talking about oppression, but... For these house elves. So she's getting really riled up about this. Which is a good thing. Um, but uh, it was like. To the point of Harry and Ron are just eating their breakfast. And it says. So Harry like shook his head. And just uh, applied himself. As, his, as he was working on his scrambled eggs. And Ron's lack of enthusiasm. Had wanted nothing whatsoever to do. To curb Hermione's determination. To pursue justice for house elves. True, both of them had paid two sickles for spew badges, but they had only done it to keep her quiet. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just thought that really stood out because I got to give this girl respect because she's really passionate about this thing and she's making it work even when her two closest friends, it's kind of like how we've talked about before. Like, you know, y'all have people like, not bringing up parents and that sort of thing, but you know, they'll be like, oh, that's awesome. That's a great job. But, like, are they really supporting you there? <laughs> that's kind of what's happening with Hermione right now. Um, so, really passionate for her. I think that's great. Good for her. Uh, she really sticks up for herself here. Um, and then, so, then she actually goes after your boys Fred and George for I it. know like, it. She, I know it. The little, yeah. the little, who does she think she is? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. No, this is the girl that, like, would never stand up for herself and then punches Malfoy in the face. And then all of a sudden, like, it's like, she's, she's become, you know, this. that's why I said woman. she's grown on me after that point in time. Like throughout the book, she was super annoying in book one and book two. Then after she hit Malfoy, I'm like, man, I am a fan of Hermione Granger. And she's been on oh, a roll yeah. ever since. Like, even what I said was that, uh, she was doing the right thing, even though no one else is doing the right thing. Right. So mm -hmm. no one else is with her on this whole social justice issue of getting freedom for these elves. She's basically on it alone. And like the mark of any leader, yeah. she doesn't let the fact that no one supports her stop her. She continues through it, and she's passionate about it, and she's going to see it through. So much respect to Hermione Granger. Yeah. Uh, Granger things, man. Granger danger alert. Granger but danger. I do want to read this, like, kind of, not really a monologue, but just like this... <laughs> lashback at fred and george because you never really get like someone going up against fred and george because they're just so funny you'd almost feel like someone's gonna like poison your milk or something <laughs> like i'm not gonna go after fred and george right she sticks up for herself like fred and george are kind of making like a mockery of the elves 
like putting jokes in, imitating them, right? And she goes, you do realize your sheets are changed, your fires are lit, your classroom's cleaned, your food is cooked by a group of magical creatures who is unpaid and enslaved, uh, as she kept saying fiercely. Some people like Neville have paid up just to, (laughs) well, sorry, saying Neville just like paid up just to stop Hermione from uh, glowering them, so stop pestering them, right? If you seem mildly interested in what she had to say, but were reluctant to take a more active role in campaigning, many regarded the whole thing as a joke. And then Ron, it says, rolled his eyes at the ceiling, which was flooding them all in autumn sunlight, and Fred became extremely interested in the uh, bacon when both teams had refused to buy a spew badge. George, however, leaned in towards Hermione and said, Listen, have you ever been down in the kitchens, Hermione? No, of course not, said Hermione uh, courtly. I hardly think students are supposed to... Well, we have, said George, indicating Fred, loads of times to nick the food. <laughs> We've met them, and they're happy, <laughs> and they think they've got the best job in the world. <laughs> well, I was like, wow, leave it to like Fred and George <laughs> to... Because it's like, it's not a cool situation, but only your boys Fred and George can make it like a laughable moment with their cockiness, man. So I thought I thought it was good. I gotta give your boys Fred and George props just to make it a funny situation, but still support my girl on that. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Yeah, and even continuing on from that exact dialogue left off, she said, well, that's because they're uneducated and brainwashed, going to the point mm-hmm. that we made last yeah. week talking about uh, the house elves. So... Um, I just I thought it was funny though because both Fred and George refused to buy the spirit. Like not they didn't say, "Oh no, thank you." Like and they're they're like opposed to what Hermione was trying to do. He was like they're like, "No, Hermione, you don't understand. These house elves yeah. love what they do. Like you're assuming that they hate it because you wouldn't like to be enslaved and you know unpaid and overworked. But these house elves, they do like it, and we know this from personal experience because we've gone down to the kitchen and met them." So it's like opposite sides. And, and Hermione's like, well, that's only because they don't know any better. So they're going back and forth and each is kind of bringing up a good point. Like, you know, maybe yeah. that is what they like, you know? And, and so I just, I thought that was kind of cool there. Cause you know, Fred and George, those are my guys, but uh, going on. That's a good point though. Sorry not to hold you up. Yeah. But I just want to ask you a question about that. That's a tough spot to be in because if you're Fred and George, especially like what we're about to talk about, later on in these next couple episodes and like what we see with some of these house elves if you're fred and george and you're like well fine if they really don't want to be paid and that's like their culture i guess we'll respect their culture right like sure let them not be paid it's great for us great for them it works out both ways but then like hermione which has never been exposed to that side of course she sees from what you know most of us would call as the correct way like the i guess the um equality answer which is should be the right answer but that's interesting coming from george and fred's side because what side would you even consider right and wrong because i guess if you're at the point where you actually do know these house elves and we've seen some of the way they act like at what point would you be like all right that's fine well i don't want to force my culture on you so if this is what you want, I may not agree with it that you deserve this, but if you want that, fine. Yeah, that's that's the main thing, right? 
So Hermione is being very, very pushy. Like, it's almost, if you think about it in the real world with people trying to, you know, force their religion on somebody else, like, mm-hmm. that might be the right thing for you. It might have worked in your life, and your life could be going in such a great way because of the faith you have in a certain religion. But that might not work for somebody else. That might not be how they think or feel. So mm-hmm. I think the, the, the quote-unquote right answer is kind of somewhere in the middle of between what Fred and George are saying and what Hermione are saying. Like, yes, it's, it's great to push for better lives in the future for all creatures and go move towards equality. But also you can't force them into make, like, wanting to do it, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can kind of show them a dream, but like, Hermione's kind of bashing everyone over the head with it. And that's not always necessarily the best way to get your point across. You know, I think there's got to be some sort of middle mm-hmm. ground where each can kind of be like, listen, you know, that's a great ideal, and maybe one day we'll move that way. But right now, like, because we like not to get ahead of ourselves, but when they finally make their ways down the kitchen, they we see what happens. Like when Hermione brings it up, they kind of get yeah. like the houses themselves kind of get short with them, and like kind of all right, guys, have fun with the rest of your day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. Like it's great to have those conversations and push for equality. But you also can't force anyone, especially the people you're, you're like subjected to, the one the, the ones that this whole thing's about. You can't force them to do it. You know what I mean? Just yeah. because you think it's the right no, thing for can't. them doesn't mean they think it's the right thing for them. So that's my 100%. opinion. Hundred percent. I, I think that's what I think it's important we brought that up because a lot of people that will listen to this right off, right? They'll immediately think, you know, Hermione is the right way, which I'm a Hermione guy. Like she's my girl. Like I've supported her through this whole thing from the beginning but also you gotta kind of see the other perspective it's yeah Hermione's passionate about it and this is something that could be uh you know a great outcome for these house elves but it doesn't always mean you're doing it the right way which is I think I I gotta give Fred and George props on that man and, and another analogy, like a drug addict, you can't force them to go to rehab. They have to like want to do it on their own to provide a better lives for themselves. You know, you right. can advocate it, have the conversations, but you can't bash them over the head with it or it's going to make them not want to. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, it's 100%. kind of, yeah, we relate it to real life. But to continue on here, the next thing I've got is the, the letter that Sirius writes back to Harry. It says, Dear Harry, I'm back in the country and well hidden. I want you to keep me posted on everything that's going on at Hogwarts. Don't use Hedwig. Keep changing owls and don't worry about me. Just watch out for yourself. Don't forget what I said about your scar. So Sirius basically is like, Harry, don't lie to me. I know you're not. I know you weren't messing around. You wouldn't have wrote to me. I'm back in. I'm safe. Don't worry about it. Like, just keep me posted on what happens and use different owls so no one can see that a big snowy owl keeps going back and forth over and over again. <laughs> so last two things before I turn it back to you is uh, Bo Battens and Durmstrang arriving. So Bo Battens arrived on a huge horse-drawn carriage the size of a house, pulled through the air by a dozen winged horses, all palominos and all the size of an elephant. Can you imagine flying horses the size of an elephant flying at, like, like almost like Cinderella's pumpkin castle, but, like, you know, like a, <laughs> like a carriage, Literally. like, the size of a house? So that's what I thought there. I thought that was cool. Also, the Bo Batten's coat of arms is something I notated. It was two crossed golden wands, each emitting three stars each from either side. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then just, uh, I also notated in page 245, the horses, they only drink single malt whiskey, which is super ridiculous. Like, like these 
people, they, they, not, no water's, water's not good enough for them. They need single malt whiskey is what Madame Maxime said, right? And then the last right. thing is just Durmstrang arrives on an underwater ship. Like it like went through the lake and they emerged from the lake, an underwater ship there. So that's how they arrived. And with that, I'm passing it to you, Chase. You take it from there. Yeah. Uh, the only little thing in the details I had there, uh, as far as Bo Batten's was when Madame Maxine got off, like how big she's described. Uh, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it really stands out and plays a big thing for later on that happens. But said, then Harry saw a shining high heeled black shoe emerging from inside the carriage, a shoe, the size of a child's sled followed almost immediately by the largest woman he had ever seen in his life. The size of the carriage and of the horses was immediately explained. Like, that's massive. Uh, yeah, so that definitely stood out to me there. Um, uh, so, yeah, and then, of course, um, you know, the biggest thing with uh, Durmstrang. Is that how you say it? Durmstrang? Yeah. Hmm? Catching on. He can be taught. <laughs> can be taught um so of course the biggest thing with Durmstrang that i saw that was so cool was like you know they come through that lake but they like emerge in almost like a, what's a whirlpool it said what seemed to be a long black pool began to rise slowly out of the heart of the whirlpool and then harry saw the ring the rigging uh, uh the rigging which is like a ship right it's yeah. it's a mast <laughs> like very Pirates of the Caribbean is what I was thinking. Like, it just came out of the lake there. And it said, uh, slowly, magnificently, the ship rose out of the water, gleaming in the moonlight. It had a strength, uh, strangely skeletal look about it, as though it were resurrected. A resurrected wreck in the dim, misty lights shimmering. Its portholes looked like ghostly eyes. Finally, with a great slashing noise, the ship emerged entirely, bobbing on the turbulent water, and began to glide toward the bank. A few moments later, they heard a splash of an anchor being thrown in the shallows and the thud of a plank being lowered on the bank. That reminded me of, I, I wanted Captain Jack to just step right off there, or the Dutchman. That's like what that reminded me of. My so. question is this, like, especially when we talk about what happens in the second task next mm. week, what I have a question on is like, how is everybody breathing underwater on this ship? Like, how was all of, <laughs> yeah. how was all yeah, of Durmstrang students were just breathing underwater while this ship emerged? You know what I mean? Or here's a here's a question if you're so used to going underwater why are you so bad at it <laughs> just throwing that out there that'll make more sense later on audience josh knows exactly what i'm saying yeah <laughs> um i'll just say a couple more here uh and then of course you know the big guy that steps out you know ron's prodigy the legend the victor crumb <laughs> Crumb, <laughs> yeah, steps off uh, the ship, right? And he's stepping into Hogwarts. And it said, Victor Crumb, when he stepped out, Kakarov beckoned, Kakarov, right? I yeah, said that right? yep, Kakarov, yep. I remembered it because, like, Dragon Ball Z. Kakarot. That's right, yeah. <laughs> he told me, yeah. Kakarov, like, beckoned forward. Um, one of his students, as the boy passed, Harry caught a glimpse of the prominent curved nose 
thick black eyebrows. He didn't need the punch of an arm Ron gave him or the hiss of an ear to recognize that profile. Harry, Ron's prodigy, it's Crumb. <laughs> yeah, Ron's prodigy. And one thing I wanted to mention about this, I guess the guy was okay that played him in the film, but I feel like he looked a little bit different in the book. Like, he had that massive eyebrow. Like, no offense, not, like, trying to throw any shade or anything here, but Hermione does say at one point, like, he's ugly. <laughs> Just throwing that out there, but, like, he, I feel like in the book... He reminded me kind of more of like what his character is supposed to be, right? Like you can actually see him on the cover of the book. It's very hard to see um, from where mine is at. You can probably see it on Josh's, um, but it shows like him with the one eyebrow and he's kind of more of like, I don't want to call him like reminds me of the movie Idiocracy, but it's like a guy that's so talented, but he doesn't have common sense. Almost like someone that has book smarts, that can figure out like these things with tasks and that sort of thing right but you don't have common sense in certain situations so just throwing that out there and i'll, I'll let you kick us off with chapter 16 unless you had anything else in that one no that's exactly where i'm starting up is chapter 16 to start there i've got ludo bagman and barty crouch arriving then on page 255 just going to read the second paragraph it says the instructions for the tasks the champions will face this year have already been examined by Mr. Crouch and Mr. Bagman, said Dumbledore, as Filch placed the chest carefully on the table before him. And they have made the necessary arrangements for each challenge. There will be three tasks spaced throughout the school year, and they will test the champions in many different ways. Their magical prowess, their daring, their powers of deduction, and of course their ability to cope with danger. So that's a little bit about, you know, what the tasks are going to entail with the Triwizard Tournament. Uh, down here at the bottom of page 255, I'm going to read the last, uh, the last paragraph. Anybody wishing to submit themselves as champion must write their name and school clearly upon a slip of parchment. Drop it into the goblet, said Dumbledore. Aspiring champions have 24 hours in which to put their names forward. Tomorrow night, Halloween, the goblet will return the names of the three it has judged most worthy to represent their schools. The goblet will be placed in the entrance hall tonight, where it will be freely accessible to all those wishing to compete. So I thought it was kind of cool, that symmetry there at being chosen on Halloween. Always a cool uh, thing there. Um, cool. We are actually introduced to what the goblet of fire looks like. thought that was pretty sweet. Uh, the yep. goblet of fire is a little bit different than what I even remember. It's like a big wooden cup. It said it was unremarkable except for the fact that there was blue flames bursting out of it. So it was just like a like a wooden cup just sitting there like like on it. It was uh, very, very interesting. I thought like there was more of a uh, art and detail that went into it, but that's what they said. It said very unremarkable. So Yeah. Um I thought this was pretty funny when uh, after they arrived talking about Durmstrang and uh, he, he goes this is what Kakarov goes up to Victor Crumb and says, Back to the ship then. Victor, how are you feeling? Did you eat enough? Should I send for some mold wine from the kitchens? And Harry <laughs> saw Crumb shake his head as he pulled his furs back on. Professor, I would like some wine, said one of the other Durmstrang boys, hopefully. I wasn't offering it to you, Polyakov, snapped Kakarov, his warmly paternal air vanishing in an instant. I noticed you have dribbled food all down the front of your robes again, disgusting boy. 
So I thought that was kind of funny because you can kind of see how Kakarov treats the students that are not called Victor Crumb, and he doesn't like them. It's like he, he's got his favorite, and the other ones are there just, you know, on, on an off chance. It's like they already had, there was no doubt that it was Victor Crumb that was going to be the Durmstrang champion, right? Yeah, so, no doubt. It's all uh, about what you did for me today, not what you did for me yesterday with that guy. <laughs> Yeah, then the last thing I have before I'll turn it back to you here is just uh, when they were all leaving the Great Hall and Kakarov notices the scar on Harry's head and uh, then Moody from behind him says, yeah, that's Harry Potter, said uh, Moody growling from behind. And uh, he was standing there leaning heavily on his staff, his magical eye glaring unblinkingly at the Durmstrang headmaster. The color drained from Kakarov's face as Harry watched. A look of terrible mingled fury and fear came over him. You, he said, staring at Moody as though unsure he was really seeing him. Me, said Moody grimly, and unless you've got anything to say to Potter, Kakarov, you might want to move. You're blocking the doorway. So I thought that was like a cool little, it's also could kind of be a foreshadow in a way, but it was a big moment. The, the Moody and Kakarov kind of coming face to face for the first time. I'll say in a long time for a little foreshadow for the fans. So take it yeah. away from there. Uh, Yeah, first thing I thought of was you, soldier boy, <laughs> tell him. Oh, yeah, brought me back some nostalgia, man. Um, First thing I have in here, uh, just touching on a little bit, not too much before here, but going back to the crumb thing. So, girls and even our boy Ron, he, he, I mean, he falls for this dude just like a a girl with a crush, man. Like, uh, two things here. Okay, let's not say it like that. It's like his hero, like, you know, if you were to meet your favorite football player. like your idol, man. Yeah, exactly. He's your idol. (laughs) That's exactly what he is. Um, So, first with the girls, though, I'll say. Um, So, they're all like, it's like something from the Hercules movie where, you know, he leaves with all the kisses and stuff because they're, like, just falling head over heels for this guy. Like, I don't believe it. I haven't gotten a single quill on me. Do you think he could sign my sign uh, sign my hat and lipstick? And then Ron is next to all the girls, and he's like, "We Harry, he's like talking back and forth to Harry. We could offer him a space in our dormitory, Harry. I wouldn't mind giving up my bed. <laughs> I could. I could, I could. I could give Crumb my bed. <laughs> like, what? Like, you're going that far, man? Like, okay. You don't even give your parents the bed when they come to town. <laughs> like, all right. Okay. Uh, so going from here, right, um, is when I have, you know, that moment when, like, Floor De, De La Cour, like, steps in and, and Ron. It's definitely kind of a little bit of a foreshadowing moment. Um, so we can kind of always save that for foreshadowing, but just how gorgeous this girl was. Um, which you find out a little bit more about her later, right? It said, It was the girl from Bovatten's who had laughed during Dumbledore's speech. She had finally removed her muffler. A long sheet of silvery blonde hair uh, fell almost to her waist. She had large, deep blue eyes and a very white, even teeth. Ron went purple. He stared up at her, opened his mouth to reply, but nothing came out except a faint gurgling noise. Yeah, I have it, said Harry, pushing the dish toward the girl. Uh, you are, are you finished with it? <laughs> that reminds me of like in Superbad when he's looking at that girl and he's, she turns around like to say hey and he's like, 
Uh, it's 1035. <laughs> <laughs> it just like runs off. Yeah. That's exactly what that reminded me of. And uh, you pretty much hit Dumbledore speech nail on the head. I just do want to say this one part um, because it does play kind of a, a cool part with your boys, Fred and George, I will say. Um, right here is it says, to ensure that no underage student yields to temptation, said Dumbledore. And we know who he's speaking to here. I will be drawing an age line around the Goblet of Fire once it has been placed in the entrance hall. Nobody under the age of 17 will be able to cross the line. Finally, I wish to impress upon any of you wishing to compete that this tournament is not to enter into lightly. Once a champion has been selected by the Goblet of Fire, how does he do it? He's like, champion has been selected by the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mine's a little more, yeah, slay-fist. Anyways, um, it would not be entered lightly. Once a champion has been selected by the Goblet of Fire, he or she is obliged to see the tournament through the end. The placing of your name in the Goblet constitutes a binding, a magical contract. There can be no change of heart once you have become champion. Please be very sure, therefore, that you are wholeheartedly prepared to uh, play before you drop your name into the goblet. Now, I think it is time for bed. Good night to you all. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but that, that plays a big part later uh, for what comes up. So, um, yeah, and with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. So for that, I had that in my foreshadows. So I had that in my foreshadowing events there because for a couple uh, okay. different things, not just the Fred and George thing, but obviously what ends up happening at the end of the uh, mm -hmm. choosing ceremony. So I had that in my foreshadow area there, but no, it's, it's also an impactful moment as well. Now, talking about Fred and George, that's where I'll pick up here. You know, on page 259 through 260, Fred, George, and their friend Lee Jordan, they attempt to fool the age line Dumbledore made and they fail miserably. They end up coming out of there. They, they get blasted back and like growing silver <laughs> beards all the way down to like the floor. And, you know, they, they took it with like a grain of salt. They were laughing about it. They're the, they're the class clowns. Like they're the ones that could do it and not look totally <laughs> stupid when that thing happens. Like it's like, oh, it's, it's Fred and George, you know, everyone loves them because they're the jokesters. They're the class clowns. So, but the one Gryffindor <laughs> that does enter is Angelina Johnson she enters. She's old enough. I thought I got that there. Uh, page 262. I thought it was funny that uh, the, all of Bo Batten's entered their names simultaneously. They all just walked up to it and dropped it in. They're the ones that they mm -hmm. thought were worthy enough. Um, page 264. The blast ended Scroots that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, they've got started to get so big that they started killing each other. You know, and they no longer are shellless. They got like some sort of like it, it was described later on, and I got it the actual wording, but some sort of armor is like what the shell kind of looked like. Uh, moving on from there, what I've got is page two sixty five. Hagrid he also refuses to join Spew, uh, which is you know that was actually kind of surprising <laughs> yeah. because Hagrid always kind of supports what Harry, Ron, and Hermione do, and he wants to be like a part of their life, but. Even him, he's like, Hermione, like, you, you'd be doing them an injustice. Like, you think this is what they want, but, like, that's not what they want. So he, he's almost thinking along the same lines as Fred and George. Like, like, it's great that you want these great things for these other people, but, like, think about them, not what you want for them. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then, uh, obviously, you go back to 
the Goblet of Fire because we're about ready to just start announcing the champions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to announce the champions and then I'm going to turn it over to Chase. So the Goblet of Flames turn red when it's ready to announce the champions. So it's blue to start with and then when it, fire, it turns red before it spits a name out on a piece of paper. So page 269 through 270. First one chosen is the Durmstrang champion Victor Crumb. Fleur Delacour was the champion chosen from Bow Battens. And Cedric Diggory from Hogwarts. Those are chosen as the champions. So those three get put over to the side room. They're doing their thing there. And, you know, Dumbledore's like, they're all clapping for the champions. They're happy, whatever. Hogwarts has got Cedric. And everything. They, Dumbledore starts announcing like, oh, well, you know, it's been a great ceremony. You know, you guys will be looking forward to the, watching them compete in the tasks. Like, going on and on. And all of a sudden, the goblet starts turning red again. And what the heck is this about? Because they had just spit out the three names. There can only be one champion from each school. So what's going on? And then all of a sudden it spits out a last piece of paper, which Dumbledore said like it was like reflexively he grabbed it. Like he didn't even like mean to, to grab it here. And then he, he looks at it and reads out the name Harry Potter, which obviously guys, now some full circles come all the way around. Number one, Harry Potter's 14. How did he get past the age line? If Dumbledore himself drew the age line, he's a powerful wizard. How did somebody get around Dumbledore's spells? So that's there's some big things going on here. And I know you're going to make the laughing part of this because you know what, what <laughs> Dumbledore does in the film. Before he does that, I just want to prove to everyone why the acting portrayal of Dumbledore with this new actor is so inaccurate that it's almost an insult to the original Dumbledore. In page 276, after, like, there's two more things I want to put there, so let me go ahead and get through them and get to page 276. So, page 274, Fleur Delacour thought Harry was there to deliver a message. Like, she didn't even, it's like, he's 14, he's like, oh, do they want us in the Great Hall? And Harry's like, thinking to himself, I'm just going to stay silent, but he's the new, he's the other champion. It's funny that she kind of dismissed him as a little boy, right? And then Ludo Bagman was ecstatic, but he was the only one that was happy about it. Kakarov and Madame Maxime, they're angry because now Hogwarts has two champions, and it's not fair. Like, now we got to do a re-choosing uh, re ceremony. And so, and even, like, page 276, like, I'm going to read the second paragraph just because your boy Snape blames Harry. Like, he says it's Harry's <laughs> fault. He's, he's got it in for him, man. He's like, it's no one's fault but Potter's, Kakarov said Snape softly. His black eyes were alight with malice don't go blaming Dumbledore for Potter's determination to break the rules he's been crossing lines ever since he arrived here <laughs> thank you Severus thank you all right that's enough now, <laughs> that's what Dumbledore says but that. what I wanted to leave off with here and why Which it's important I, I agree with you I think he's just got a the way he acts he's just got a knack for Potter now my quick question here and it's not really worth a debate because it's like it's really hard to debate this uh, based on evidence um, but my question on it is based on what I know a lot of people don't know this so we're not going to give away spoilers but based on what we know about Snape do you think he was actually trying to look out for Harry no I think he just want, <laughs> I think he just wanted every single time he's got a chance he puts Harry down we see that a lot more coming up in the future chapters you know I don't think he uh, was looking out for him any sort of way because Dumbledore is supposed <laughs> to be the one who's in charge of everything. If Dumbledore wanted to, and that's one of the potential plot holes I'll talk about. Not that it's a plot hole, but it's like, did they make this believable? Like, can I buy this? Right. Um, right. About Harry 
being well i'll say it now he's allowed to compete right so i'm right right about there yeah. right now in my notes yeah it's like snape knows that dumbledore's gonna have the final say regardless and that you know snape just kind of follows along with dumbledore says like anytime dumbledore says quiet he shuts up immediately like dumbledore's kind of he really yeah, does yeah yeah he keeps him in his place so we can go tell dumbledore how behind you third years really are right <laughs> yes so the last thing i want to put here and i want to get through this one piece because it's so important when we talk about the characterizations of the actor for dumbledore in the first two movies to when he, the new one took over in the third movie he says right here in page 276 if you guys do not believe me i'm going to count the paragraphs down one two three four the fifth paragraph it says this on page 276 in Goblet of Fire, the fifth paragraph. Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire, Harry? He asked calmly. What did he do in the movie, Chase? <laughs> I'll try not to be too loud. <laughs> Harry! Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> like shouts it, screams it, angry, Tell furious. Tell me that was not dead on. Like Scottish accent and everything, you're more than welcome to criticize. No. Feel free to, because go back and look at it. That's dead on. Like, did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire? Like I will not criticize anything because it's exactly what he did. He asked it like angrily, furiously, like in a, in a scolding way. Where in the book it literally says he asked calmly, <laughs> Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And then in the movie, they just over like, like, what was that? So I, I just don't like the way the new actor portrays Dumbledore because it's not how the books portray him. That makes me upset. And with that, I'll turn it over to you to take some of the parts that you want to sprinkle in there, and then we'll move on. Yeah, man. Not to harp on that part too much, but let's just put it this way. That part is actually a GIF you can even put up on your phone, and it says, Did you put your name in a cup of fire? And I feel like there should be a remix or something, as if, like, Dumbledore was running up and down the stairs, like, trying to chase after Harry, as if he was, like, just caught in the middle of up and down the stairs. Did you put your name in a cup of fire? <laughs> and then it's just like, it's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. I feel like it'd be great. Going back to that, I feel like it is a perfect segue, because, um, just stepping back in time just a little bit not too far but just with the aging potion the one thing i wanted to say about the true dumbledore the real dumbledore here um was he totally he is the man that's literally like what i put on this little headline on my notes when he calls fred and george out after they attempt <laughs> the aging potion like he like just happens to be there because typical Dumbledore like always shows up at the very end for some reason right yeah. when everything gets good yeah not like, there right to stop when... him from putting it in but there to show up after <laughs> it happens yep like, you're yeah, exactly you're right fine. you're fine and here's what I loved about it was he was like he looks at him um and he was he was going into the point of he winds up even saying how like so many other people have tried it and he goes I'll try this do this in my true Dumbledore versus Goblet of Fire um, but he goes, I did. <laughs> that sounded more like you make him sound dead, man. Just do, just do your regular voice. Yeah, you make, <laughs> like, you make him sound like he's dying. You gotta do the little lips here. He's like, but I did warn you. <laughs> Sounds like Voldemort. Okay, fine. I did warn you. Said a deep amused voice. I did warn you. A deep amused. Vo okay, fine. Whatever. I did warn you, and everyone turned to see Professor Dumbledore coming out of the Great Hall. He surveyed Fred and George, his eyes twinkling. I suggested you both go up to Madame Pomfrey. 
She is already tending to Miss Fawcett of Ravenclaw, Mr. Summers of Hufflepuff, both of whom decided to age themselves up a little too, though I must say, neither of their beards is anything like as fine as yours. <laughs> I just imagine him like stroking his beard. But like, that's what I loved about it because it's, it's amazing to me. Like, let's be real. Let's be real here. Fred and George are not the smartest in the group. They're funny. They're hysterical. And I think they have a lot of common I, sense. I would argue but as that. Far as I would book I would smart. I would argue that they're very smart because they created their own business when no one else was. Okay, <laughs> like, I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. But if you're talking about like, book smart, like you? like how they perform in classes, yeah, they, they they slack off because their their focus is their business. They don't give a crap about school. I think it's more along the lines of they don't care more than they're not smart. <laughs> like, My point is though, why would you not have thought of that? Like you have, like they thought they were the only ones trying this. Like Dumbledore's that. Well, dumb. I think like, well, because think about what they said just a couple, like not even a couple pages before that. I think it was a couple sentences mm-hmm. before that. They were already almost seventeen. They were they're, they're supposed to be turning seventeen during the school year. So they're thinking, hey, we only got to age ourselves up a couple months. Maybe that would be undetected. It's not like we're aging ourselves up three mm-hmm. years. You know, it's like only aging up from halloween to april which is like yeah just a little bit of time so maybe they felt like it would be so close to be unnoticeable you know that's my I thought could see i could definitely see how you would i guess you could convince yourself my problem is it's and, not like this well is the also Quidditch house cup and here's the thing too is that i think more than anything jk rowling wrote that in there to build up for how it was going to be difficult for anyone younger than 17 to enter. So she wants, she needs to okay. show people trying and failing before getting to Harry, who somehow gets his name selected. You know what I mean, right? I it's got to build yeah. that conflict. So I think that's more why, less that's why it was written, not to like portray Fred and George as dumb. I think it was just <laughs> I mean, more would... along the lines. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that in the movie, it's actually Hermione that's like, well, she actually even says it in the book. Like, don't you think Dumbledore would have thought of an aging potion? Like she even tries to warn them, but I can, I can see what you're saying. I can buy it. Um, I still would have like not thought I was the only one that thought of it, but it was worth a good shot. Um, next thing I have here is so when Harry's presented, like you were saying, the biggest thing that kind of spoke to me is imagine if you're in that situation because like all these people would imagine i mean it described like the crowds for these people like just like roaring you know like except for the slytherins when cedric got up there (laughs) they weren't supporting him right yeah but like durmstrang they were like super excited bo battens wasn't exactly like thrilled they got chosen but they were still supporting their person well harry like imagine this is literally like almost as if I would say imagine like yeah literally like you just got called out in the middle of everyone for doing something wrong like that's exactly what it is when it's supposed to be like this big day right like the whole school and not just the whole school the other two schools too like you got called out in front of everybody Mm -hmm. and it says Harry sat there aware that every head in the great hall had turned to look at him. He was stunned. 
He felt numb. He was surely dreaming. He had not heard correctly. There was no applause, a buzzing, as though angry bees was starting to fill the hall. Some students were standing up to get a better look at Harry as he sat frozen in his seat. Up at the top table, Professor McGonagall had got to her feet urgently. To Professor Dumbledore, who bent uh, bent toward her, frowning slightly. Harry turned to Ron and Hermione. Beyond them, he saw the long Gryffindor table, all watching him, open mouthed. I didn't put my name in, Harry said blankly. You know I didn't. And then, that, like, just imagine that moment. Like, I would, it's almost like if you're watching, like, something on TV and you're embarrassed for that person. Like, I would, I feel so bad for him. And he, like, never put this on himself at all. Um, and then from here, uh, I do have, uh, so, um, I have Bagman, like, after the, like, champions, right, like, it would be Bagman, <laughs> like, he's the only way that, only one that would act like this, out of this, like, way out of the ordinary situation, um, when, like, Harry is, like, announced that he has to compete, like, no matter what. And everyone's like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. You know, and the biggest thing here is, too, the other schools aren't so much concerned about Harry's age. They don't care about that. But they still want to win this tournament. So you have two people in this tournament that's giving them an extra advantage. But then Bagman is just like, extraordinary, he muttered. Absolutely extraordinary. Gentlemen, lady, he added, approaching the fire, uh, the fireside, addressing the other three. May I introduce, incredible though, if it may seem, the fourth Triwizard Champion. Like, anyone else would be like, and we have a fourth Triwizard Champion. Or just like moderately, like Harry Potter, here we have the fourth Triwizard Champion. Because they... Like, really haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet. He's like, oh, this is amazing. This is exactly what we wanted. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Awesome. So where I left off, well, catch up with me because I got to the point where the, the, the um, calmly, Dumbledore asks calmly, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? So if you have anything between Ludo Bagman being excited and uh, putting his name in the Goblet of Fire, say that first before I go on so that way we're caught up to the same spot. But if you don't and that's where you had it, perfect. I'll, I'll take over from there. No, because you, you hit uh, that one on the head. The only other thing I had um, was that Kakarov um, was, which you, you talked about it. You know, they were mad they had more than one person. So Kakarov even suggested, he was like, it's only fair, Dumbledore. He suggested that the other two houses get to actually revote and actually select a second champion. So you would have had two champions but they couldn't do that. But um, no, you, you already covered that part. So I'll turn it back over to you, man. Perfect. And so the reason why, guys, if you're paying attention to why they couldn't uh, restart it is because the goblet had already came out and it wouldn't be lit until next ceremony. Like it's one of those things that when it's done, it's done. You can't just go back and put another paper in the cup. So yeah. um, <laughs> going on to page 278, I thought this was important because uh, he started like, um, empty that crack. So this is where Kakarov is talking, like basically arguing with Dumbledore, saying this isn't fair. We're not competing next time. You guys just want another another advantage. And then this is when Mad Eye Moody says, "Empty threat." Kakarov growled a voice from near the door. 
You can't leave your champion now. He's got to compete. They've all got to compete. It's a binding magical contract, like Dumbledore said. Convenient, eh? Moody had just entered the room. He limped toward the fire. With every step, with every right step he took, there was a loud clunk. Convenient, said Kakarov. I'm afraid I don't understand you, Moody. And Harry was trying. could tell he was trying to sound disdainful, as though what Moody was saying was barely worth his notice. But his hands gave him away. They, he kept balling them up into fists. Don't you, said Moody quietly. It's very simple, Kakarov. Someone put Potter's name in that goblet, knowing he'd have to compete if it came out. Evidently, someone who wished to give Hogwarts two bites at the apple, said Madame Maxime. I quite agree, Madame Maxine, said Kakaroff, bowing to her. I shall be lodging complaints with the Ministry of Magic and the International Confederation of Wiz. If anyone's <laughs> got a reason to complain, it's Potter, growled Moody. But funny thing, I don't, him, I don't hear him saying a word. Why should he complain, burst out Fleur Delacour, stamping her foot. He has a chance to compete, hasn't he? We have all been hoping to be chosen for weeks and weeks. The honor for our schools, a thousand, thousand galleons of prize money, is a chance many would die for. Maybe someone hoping, someone's hoping Potter is going to die for it, said Moody with a trace of scrowl. So that's what I want to read there, is that that was a kind of a foreshadow, but also an impactful moment. Because what do you do? Number, two, number one, he went face-to-face with Kakarov, basically com- accusing Kakarov of putting Harry's name in there without so much saying it. But you could tell underlying that was what he was getting at. Then number two, knowing that like, maybe someone's hoping Harry's going to die for it, which is a huge foreshadow towards the end of the book. We'll talk about more like that when we get into the foreshadow events section. But uh, two more things here, and I'll pass it to Chase's. The first task is to take place on November 24th, and they're going to be armed with only their wands. And page 281, champions are exempt from end-of-the-year tests. Uh, and with that, take it away from there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you pretty much had everything I had. Um, I mean you were i mean just the biggest thing just like we were saying you know kakaroff like goes off like the part where he was like i insist upon resubmitting the names of the rest of the students like we were saying but like he they're really the biggest thing i took from this like everyone's like freaking out on dumbledore like it's his fault um like he was like in which Durmstrang will most certainly not be competing exploded kakaroff after all our meetings and negotiations and com- and compromises I little expected something of this nature to occur. I have half, uh, I have half, oh, I am on my way to leave now. Uh, and then in a grumbled lower voice from the near door, you can't leave your champion now. He's got to compete. They've all got to compete. Binding magical contract like Dumbledore. Which is what we so talked convenient. about. Yeah, yeah, we did that whole quote there. Yeah. But. I mean, I know we so did, that it, was... but we didn't say that <laughs> section there. Yeah, we did. See what I'm saying? That's, that's exactly said, where I started. That part? The, the, yeah, the oh, top okay. when he, gro- he came into the it. door and growled and said uh, about like how he has to compete now because it's a binding magical contract. Yeah, and then I the, the oh, only thing okay. I didn't gotcha. put in there that you did was was uh, Kakarot from the very beginning like complaining about gun- threatening to leave. That's the part I just didn't add in there because mm-hmm. he complains at Dumbledore like six times throughout this whole book. So I was like, so but yes, that whole I literally read the whole two pages after that too about how they had the whole thing about someone's hoping Harry's going to die for it, him basically blaming Kakarot. I read the whole the whole page. Did you get the part about when Moody calls out Kakarot? Yep. If you were listening, I read the whole page. I read all of I page 282 all. and all of page well, the first part of page 283. I read every, everything, the dialogue, everything, all the way up through it. 
where the part where he's like Alistor. Well, that's when he we talk, you start talking about when he's gonna threaten him with uh, talking about the um, I don't want to say it though. The very yeah, end. Where he that's says, what I was leading into. So from there, that would be the imagining things part. That, that's where you're gonna want to take that part from is the, the middle of page two seventy nine. But uh, yeah, when he starts basically telling the dark wizard thing, is that what you're talking about? That's what I was leading. Yeah, into. yeah. So, but when you did, they did the empty, the empty threat on the page before. That's we've already covered all the way through where he says someone's hoping Potter is gonna die for it. That's where I left it off. And then from there, that would be if you were to take it to talk about the dark wizard thing, you would go from like the imagining things uh, dialogue, which is the middle of page two seventy nine. Yeah, that was my bad because I had these like almost like combined. So yeah, I was just reading it from the beginning. But yeah, that's when, you know, Kakarot, basically Moody calls Kakarot out and you find out from later. Um, so he says, you know, it's my job uh, to do this the way dark wizards do. Uh, and then this is Moody talking Kakarot as you ought to remember. And that's where like Dumbledore raises his voice and says like Alistor. <laughs> and you find out later like where that's a big... Uh, moment there what were you saying yeah no that was huge because think about it when we think about what Kakarot did he we can't i don't want to say it because this is something that gets revealed later on yeah. but basically moody's talking about all these things that would have to take place for harry's name to even be mentioned he's like dude someone would have had to confund a very dark wizard had to use a, a magic to confund one of like dumbledore's thing because remember even madame maxine was like dumbledore you must have made a mistake and then Dumbledore's like, yeah, it's possible. And like, then Mrs. McGonagall is like, he doesn't make a mistake. You know you didn't. Like, someone forced this goblet to put out Harry's name, right? And that's yeah. why, that's where Moody, would, like, what you were just talking about there, basically accuses Kakarot of doing because of what you find out about Kakarot later. And then he would get very yeah. close to saying, he's like, as you well know, Kakarot. And that's when you said, he's like, Alistair, no, we're cutting that here. Because <laughs> he's basically about to give up what Kakarot did in a past life i'll say i'll say right. that yeah and that's what i was trying to uh lead into with that uh, which it took me a while to get there but that's why i was trying to bring up because it brings up a big part later but also think about how genius this plan is right he was describing how basically the way if this is the intended plan this is moody's theory which kind of big foreshadowing for later right um the whole idea with this plan was they basically submitted whoever's name that submitted Harry submitted it in a different category. And it was the only one in that category. Under a different so school the, too. And that like under, under a, a different school. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's forced to come out. So that's how you wound up getting two champions in the same house because he wasn't even in the house. So it guaranteed that Harry's name would be pulled. And no matter what he even said uh, he said it would have needed an exceptionally strong confundus charm to bamboozle that goblet into forgetting there's only three schools that compete in the tournament so like if it takes a powerful one you think a 14 year old wizard would be able to do that himself but so like even, yeah. even though like that was like you said like a big foreshadow for what's to come when we figure that out later but yeah, yeah for sure yeah so that's just what i wanted to bring up there uh those two things um and then the clue for the first task is given um, you know, Bagman kind of walks over all extravagantly like he's been doing. And then he says, the first task is designed to best your daring, he told Harry, Cedric, Floor, and Victor. 
So we are not going to be telling you what it is. Courage in the face of the unknown is an important quality in a wizard. Very important. The first task will take place on November 24th in front of the other students in the panel of judges. The champions are not permitted to ask for or accept help of any kind, even though we all do, from their teachers to complete the tasks in the tournament. The champions will face their first challenge armed only with their wands. They will receive information about the second task when the first is over. Owing to the demanding and time-consuming nature of the tournament, the champions are exempted from end-of-the-year tests, which is nice. Um, yeah, so, and then I'll leave it off with that, and I'll let you take over from there, man. Awesome, that's exactly where I left off when I did my parts up to that, so that will lead me right into my next one, which Cedric doesn't believe Harry didn't put his name in. When they get taken away from the room, and he's like, well, Harry, <laughs> tell me, how did, how did you put your name in? And he's like, dude, I yeah. was telling the truth. He's like, oh, okay, Harry. And then just, like, walks off, like, and, like, we've talked about this before in the show, like, when you're telling the truth and no one believes you, it's like the most frustrating and annoying thing. And that even kind of boils up because in just a little bit, there's someone who's very close to Harry who doesn't believe him, which causes a huge conflict. So when Harry gets back to the common room, I just have Fred and George throw a huge mini party for Harry for being, for getting into the uh, Triwizard Tournament. <laughs> and uh, yeah, on page 286, Ron gets jealous and nasty with Harry and doesn't believe him either. Harry's telling the truth and no one believes him. They're both pissed. And this is like, this starts their first real big fight in their friendship. Like they've argued yeah. and spat before, but this is the first time where like, they're not on speaking terms after this for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, page 289 though, what I like to, to announce is that Hermione believes him, which is good because it's always good to have somebody that believes you and think is thinking clearly. Cause Ron, like she said, you know, Ron's coming from a place of jealousy. Like, Harry, you're the one that always gets chosen for everything. You know, you were famous before you could walk. Like, Ron's your best friend, and he always gets overlooked, and this is just one time too many. Like, he finally lost it, you know? So, uh, Hermione believes him. That's the main part, which is great, because it's going to give him someone who can help him, because he's going to need it with the Triwizard Tournament coming up. And so I'll pass it back to you. Yeah, uh, I think you really covered that well. Um then this is when I'm, uh, my interest, not interesting facts, <laughs> that's way later in the show, uh, standout moments, I guess we would call it, goes into chapter 18, The Weighing of the Wands. Do you have any in between there you want to cover? Oh, I already talked, I put two pages into chapter 18, so if you've got anything up to oh, the first okay, two gotcha. pages of chapter, yeah, yeah. yep, okay, I already gotcha. went in there. Perfect. Um, yeah, sorry, I thought when you were talking about Ron and Harry, uh, I know that was right before chapter 18, so... Yeah, um, but yeah, when you're talking... And you mentioned Sirius and, and all that stuff, right? I didn't mention Sirius yet, but I'm going to read his letter. But I, I mentioned Hermione believing him. So, like, that's where we kind of left off on Chapter 18 is, like, Hermione saying, like, obviously it wasn't you. Yeah, Ron's just jealous. Yeah. But yeah. Okay, that's right. Yeah, I'll let you start off then because this is your guy. So, yeah. Okay. So you can take it over. Cool. Mm -hmm. So, I, thought, I got a couple pieces of cool dialogue in between here where, like, Harry's, like, venting his frustration to Hermione he goes, that's not fun. So uh, Harry says, great, really great. Tell him from me that I'll swap anytime he wants. Tell him that he's welcome to it. People gawping at my forehead everywhere I go. I'm not telling him anything, Hermione said shortly. Tell him yourself. It's the only way to sort this out. I'm not running around after him trying to make him grow up, Harry said so loudly that several owls in the nearby tree took flight in alarm. Maybe he'll believe I'm not enjoying myself once I've got my neck broken or... That's not funny, said Hermione quietly. That's not funny at all. 
Harry, I've been thinking. You know what we got to do, don't you? Straight away, the moment we get back to the castle. Yeah, give Ron a good kick up the... Right to serious. <laughs> right to serious. You gotta tell him what happened. He asked you to keep him posted on everything that's going on at Hogwarts. It's almost as if he expected something like this to happen. So then from there, I'll read the letter that, Siri, or that Harry wrote to Sirius. But I just thought that was funny that he wanted to give Ron a good kick up the ass. So <laughs> I, wanted to re- I wanted to read that. Um, then also, I thought it was kind of cool that the giant squid eats toast. That's just casually mentioned in there. So uh, the large tentacle rose out of the water and scooped up beneath the surface because they had gotten the toast from... The- Hermione did, brought toast back to the common room, took Harry out to the grounds, and that's when they had the conversation about Ron. And they threw the toast in the lake, and like a tentacle grabbed the toast. So I thought it was kind of cool that the giant squid in the lake eats toast. Uh, now I'll read Sirius's letter and then I'll pass it back to Chase it says Dear Sirius you told me to keep you posted on what's happening at Hogwarts so here it goes I don't know if you've heard but the Triwizard Tournament's happening this year and on Saturday night I got picked as a fourth champion I don't know who put my name in the Goblet of Fire because I didn't the other Hogwarts champion is Cedric Diggory from Hufflepuff hope you're okay and Buckbeak Harry and so that's where I'll leave it and turn it over to Chase yeah um i did think this was cool uh as far as like the blasted scroots were introduced to which is really they're like the <laughs> yeah i guess they were like combined with a manticore and a lobster right and they like exploded on the ends yeah uh yeah which was really cool um and and like later on we even find out like they like kill each other which is very interesting so that's just i thought that was cool not really important but cool hagrid always teaches that in his <laughs> magical creatures class right um and then of course uh in summoning charms class and flitworks class i have that they were given extra homework and the only person to get any part from neville um it says it's really not that difficult harry hermione tried to reassure him as they left flitwick's class she had been making objects zoom across the room uh through all her lessons through she was some sort of uh uh board dusters so remember they were doing was it like a banishing charm is what i thought it was and they were like shooting all the banishing spells like exploding things or is that later on the banishing is later after the first task um, but gotcha. it was the summoning charms that they were working on, and he couldn't get the hang of it because his mind was so distracted with his arguments with Ron and all that. Gotcha. I yeah. just wasn't sure if that was the same class. So, yeah, no, the summoning charms. That was still cool, though. Um, and then here is when we really get to see the Potter Stinks badges that all the Slytherins were wearing and howling and laughter, just causing a big stink about, right? And um, Harry then house has a... Another altercation with Malfoy, which of course only like Malfoy always wants to square off on everything, right? Um, and he goes straight after Hermione because of course she's just an easy target all the time. He's like, "Want one, Granger?" said Malfoy, holding out a badge to Hermione. "I've got loads, but don't touch my hand now. I've just washed it, you see." don't want mud blood showing up on it like what an ass like all the time he's gotta like hermione's not even part of this and like he's always gotta like pick some easy target because he's that ass in the school really and then he even goes on to harry at that point just to cause more of an issue go on then potter malfoy said quietly 
drawing out his own wand. Moody's not here to look after you now. Do it. If you got the guts. For a split second, they looked into each other's eyes. Then exactly at the same time, both acted. Vernoculus! Harry yelled. Deswego! Screamed Malfoy. Jets of light shot from both their wands, hit each other midair, and ricocheted off, off the angles. Harry's hit the Goyle in the face, and Malfoy's hit Hermione. Goyle bellowed and put his hands in his nose, where great ugly boils were springing up, and Hermione whimpering and, and bawling was clutching her mouth. And this plays a big part later on, which we'll talk about next episode, is like, because of this, like, her teeth, as described as, were already larger than average, but now were growing at an alarming rate. More like a beaver as her teeth were elongated past her bottom's lip, towards her chin. Panic-stricken, she felt them and let out a terrified cry. And, like, it's just always Malfoy uh, that has to always start some start some shit. Excuse my language. And uh, the last one I'll say is just my boy Snape, and I'll turn it back over to you because it relates to exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> Hermione and everyone's in the class. You know, like, he's... Snape is, like, mocking what happened. And he's like... So, uh, Harry is going... Starts this thing off. And he's like, Potter... <laughs> he's like, so... I want to, yeah, this is Malfoy that starts it off. He goes, Potter attacked me, sir. We attached each other at the same time. And it hit Goyle's look. Snape examined Goyle, whose face now resembled something that would have been a home... Uh, resembled something in a book of poison fungi. Hospital wing, Goyle, <laughs> said Snape calmly. Malfoy? <laughs> Malfoy got Hermione, Ron said. Look! He forced Hermione to show Snape her teeth. And she was doing her best to hide them with her hands. So just kind of hiding in the corner here. Though this was difficult, as they were now grown down past her collar, Pansy Parkinson's, the other Slytherin girls, were doubled up with silent giggles, pointing at Hermione from behind Snape's back. Snape looked coldly at Hermione and then said, I see no difference. <laughs> I was like, what an ass! This is a four... She's 14, right? 14-year-old girl, probably going through puberty at the same time, and you're basically like, you still look like shit to me. <laughs> like, garbage, man. And I'm a Snape guy, but that's as low as it gets. If I was Hermione's dad, I would have beat Snape's ass. <laughs> like, I, I would have, man. And uh, with that, I'll turn it back over to you. <laughs> awesome. So I'm going to just, I, I got a couple backed up here. I'm just going to run through to catch up to you on that area. I have that uh, the Hufflepuffs are mad at Harry too. Like Ernie Macmillan and Justin Fitch family wouldn't even talk to them in herbology class the next day because they thought Harry was trying to take uh, Hufflepuff's moment of shine because everyone knows Hufflepuffs never get any sort of recognition. And so now they finally have got a champion and Harry has to go ahead and ruin that in their eyes by give, make, making it all about him again. Um like, uh, I thought also, like, Hagrid having the students take the blast-ended scroots for a walk like a dog on a leash was ridiculous. Um, I did think it was nice that Hagrid at least believed Harry, so now Hermione and Hagrid are people who believe him, and he's not completely alone. But then now it's like the scroots now have an elongated, thick, grayish-shining armor across between a giant scorpion and an elongated crab, 
is what I had the, the uh, description of them in page 295. Uh, then Malfoy makes the badges that we were talking about. The first one says, support Cedric Diggory, the real Hogwarts champion. And on the back side, it says Potter stinks. And that's when it kind of like set off that duel that you were talking about. The Fernunculus, like you said, it made Goyle's face erupt in boils. The Desangio uh, curse made it, like Hermione's teeth, like you said, go into like beaver mode. But think about what you said there about how Snape said he saw no difference. They said that the teeth were past the collar. Your collar's here. Your teeth coming <laughs> down to here. And Snape being a complete dick says, I don't see a difference. Looks like your teeth always look to Hermione. So I thought that was really messed up, like you said. Awful. And then Just now that terrible. I'm caught up with you there, um, the, now after right afterwards, Harry and Ron both verbally assault Snape until <laughs> Snape takes 50 points from them and gives them a detention. But they're not insulting them together. It's like Ron's yelling at him and Harry's yelling at him, but they're not together because they're still fighting. Um, then I got into page 301, Colin Creevy telling Snape that they need Harry uh, at, like with the champions, and Snape loses it. He's like, Potter will go after he tests his endo. And he's like, sir, he needs to go now. Very well, Potter, leave your bags. You're going to test your endo when you come back. Sir, he needs to bring his bags. Get out of my sight, Potter! <laughs> get, out, get out of my sight! <laughs> You're so, going to test your antidote, oh. I swear it. I thought that was pretty badass. It was just funny there. Then page 303, we meet Rita Skeeter, which is kind of also a foreshadow. And Rita actually interviews Harry in a broom covered and twists his words to fit her narrative like all members of the media tend to do from time to time. Uh, so I have that there. And then in page 308 to 310, some great stuff of the weighing of the wands. So remember Ollivander, he's the one that gave Harry his wand in Diagon Alley when Harry was 11 in book one. He's actually the one going over all these wands. So I'll, I'll step into that a little bit where, you know, Fleur Delacour swept over to Mr. Ollivander and handed him her wand. He trolled the wand between his long fingers like a baton and emitted a number of pink and gold sparks and he held it close to his eyes and examined it carefully. Yes, he said quietly, nine and a half inches, inflexible, rosewood, and containing, oh, dear me, an heir from the head of Avila, said Fleur, one of my grandmothers. So Fleur was part, Fleur Delacour was part Vila, thought Harry, making a mental note to tell Ron. Then he remembered him and Ron were speaking. So that's a full circle moment from when Ron thought she was a Vila when they arrived. Now we're back here. You know, they, they, she, her wand has a Vila hair in it, which is a powerful object. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's Fleur's there. And then he takes Mr. Diggory's next. He said, oh, this one is one of mine, isn't it, said Mr. Ollivander. Yes, I remember it well, containing a single hair from the tail of a particularly fine male unicorn. Must have been 17 hands, nearly gored me with his horn after I plucked his tail. Twelve and a quarter inches, ash, pleasantly springy, and in fine condition. You treat it regularly? Polished it last night, said Cedric, grinning. And Harry then looked down at his own wand, and he could see finger marks smudged all over because he never takes care of his wand. So now <laughs> we've gotten through... Fleur's wand, Cedric's wand. Then, Mr. Ollivander takes Crumb's wand. Victor got up and slouched his round-shouldered and duck-footed walks towards Ollivander, thrust out his wand, and stood scowling with his hands in the pockets of his robes. Hmm, Mr. Ollivander said, this is a Gregorovich creation, unless I'm much mistaken. A fine winemaker, though the styling is never quite what I... However, he lifted the wand and examined it minutely, turning it over and over before his eyes. Yes, horn beam and dragon heartstring, rather thicker than one usually sees, quite rigid, ten and a quarter inches. 
And then he said, Avis, and then the horn beam let off a blast like a gun, and a number of small twittering birds fell at the end. The important part there, guys, is this is the first time Grigorovich is mentioned, especially being like with Victor Crum and in Bulgaria. Grigorovich is someone who comes up very prominently in the last couple books of the Harry Potter series, so I wanted to make a note to mention that. And then lastly, obviously, Harry's wand gets weighed and uh, talks about how it's like the phoenix feather from the stuff we already know about Harry's wand. We just read it again there, so I didn't even bother making a note of it because we know about Harry's wand. I just wanted everyone else to get an idea of what the other champions' wands were. And with that being said, Chase, I will let you take it from there. Yeah, no, that was great. Uh, No, that's awesome. Uh, One thing I got from that, too, was it made me not feel so bad that my wand is supposed to be 12 and a half string. Uh, 12 and a half inches dragon heart string because when I saw floors I was like okay I'm not that short <laughs> then again I guess I'm comparing myself to like 14 and 17 year old kids so <laughs> throwing that out there <laughs> but yeah I was like hey I'm not as short as I thought I was I guess but then I realized I'm I'm going to get up against 17 and 18 year olds so okay um, <laughs> so now we've gone through that from here did you want to touch on Sirius's letter? I know it's your guy, so I yeah, I will. I'll, I'll take that. Sure, I'll do that then. Yeah. One thing too, I wanted to mention right before the uh, Sirius's letter is that, like in page three ten, this goes to prove both of our points from book one. And page three hundred and ten, he said Harry had waved what felt like every wand in the shop. Remember, mm-hmm. we were talking about how the movie only had him throw three wands in the beginning in Sorcerer's Stone. He's like, oh, this yep. one's no good. This one knows good. Oh, this one's perfect. Where in the book it said he had gone through a bunch of them. Well, right here, here's another evidence that shows that. He says, Harry waved what felt like every wand in the shop until at last he found the one that suited him. So that's another one just proving our point that we made a while ago that the movie did a terrible job characterizing what it's like for Harry to find the wand that fit yeah. him, right? Then the champions take their photos and then Sirius's letter that will take us to chapter 19 says, Harry... I can't say everything I would like to in a letter. It's too risky in case the owl is intercepted. We need to talk face to face. Can you ensure that you are alone by the fire in Gryffindor Tower at 1 o'clock in the morning on the 22nd of November? I know better than anyone that you can look after yourself while you're and while you're around Dumbledore and Moody, I don't think anyone will be able to hurt you. However, someone seems to be having a good try. Entering you in that tournament would have been very risky, especially right under Dumbledore's nose. Be on the watch, Harry. I still want to hear about anything unusual. Let me know about the 22nd of November as quickly as you can. Serious. And I'll let you take from there. Yeah, man. Um, did you want to break down the task, or are you cool if I do it? You can do it if you want. The, the whole the whole task there? Um, it's, it's up to you. Are you going to go into talking about what everyone did, or are you just going to go into what Harry did for it? What, do you, what is on your agenda for that? Uh, I mean... I wasn't going to go into all that. I just mean as far as like what Harry did. I wasn't sure if you wanted to take that part. I'm not there yet. Um, yeah, I me neither. There's a lot. I got a couple things that, before but... that too, but it's up to you, man. Um, that's fine. I, I could do, I could do the, f- I don't care. Yeah, I'll do the first one this week and then you'll do the second task next week. That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good to me. That works. And you're cool. the dragon guy. So that works out well. So I'll tell you what. So you can get up that part. <clears throat> I'm just going to read this one little part that I want to, read which is just about like when they were picking the models and kind of harry's fear as like things are happening as he's sitting there because it reminded me of like almost like when i used to wrestle back in the day like you're just kind of waiting um as you're hearing 
all these people go before you like you really don't know what's going on or almost like if they had like you got in like a group of people got invited to interview for one spot and they're just calling people back one by one right so uh the first thing i have is so uh, you know they finally go into this tent and why they're into the i guess you would call it a tent right is it like a tent sort of thing like yeah that's what i would that's what i had it in yeah yeah um, but they go in there, and one thing I do want to say the movie did well on was doing the models right, because that's really what I pictured, like, for those models. Um, so as they all expected, as you've probably heard from now, um, so, like, it, right when they go in first, of course, like, Rita Skeeter is doing her whole article thing um, on the Triwizard Tournament. So she kind of grabs harry first right and she's just writing all this stuff down and one of the things she uses is it was uh she uses a quill what do you call that quill she used that like write like for itself quick notes quill or something like that i don't i didn't write it down i I know what you're talking about though the one that like writes for itself the self-writing quick quill i don't know I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. So she asks the questions and the quill basically writes what she the responses down on its own so she doesn't have to write. Yeah, like yeah. the self-writing quill. But basically, like, she always, like, especially coming from someone with a journalist background, I can see how people do this. I never do this. But she basically takes, like, one piece of information and, like, completely, <laughs> take a shot, <laughs> entirely screws up the story is what she does and turns it back around on itself. Um, and, like, so this story here, now, they read on the front page, um, basically, it was all about Harry. Like, Cedric wasn't even mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just all about Harry is what it was. And then it had, like, personal details that weren't even true. Um, and it covered a whole page, as it said, it describes it as the pages were 2, 6, and 7. So it just kept going. And it was all about Harry. The names Bow Battens and Durmstrang Champions were mis- misspelled. It had been squashed into the last line of the article... And Cedric hadn't been mentioned at all. The article said, I suppose I get my strength from my parents. Don't ever, you know, maybe. I I suppose I get my strength from my parents. I know they'd be very proud of me if they could see me now. Don't ever recall him saying that. Yes, sometimes at night (laughs) I still cry about them. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I know nothing will hurt me during the tournament because they're watching over me. But... Rita Skeeter had gone even further than transforming her errs into long, sickly sentences. She had interviewed other people about him, too. And then it said, Harry has at last found love at Hogwarts. His close friend, Colin Creevy, yeah, we know how close <laughs> they are, says that Harry is rarely seen outside the company of one Hermione Granger, a stunningly pretty muggle born girl who like harry is one of the top students in the school so now you're spreading rumors about personal stuff that is just entirely wrong (laughs) first of all and hermione wasn't even ever part of this interview anyways um and then this is when you know at that point like things are getting really spread around after this article uh so like Slytherins, of course, are making fun of him at this point, and they're like, "Since when have you been one of the top school <laughs> top students in the school, Potter?" And they're like, "Or is this school and is this school in Longbottom something y'all have set up together?" So like, 
and I hate Neville's always like the butt end of the joke, but like Neville definitely, if we're talking about Fred and George, Neville definitely isn't the brightest one of the group. Just throwing that out there. And, uh, you know, Harry's getting really pissed at this point. Like Cho Chang approaches him and is like, hey, Harry. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's like trying to walk up to him, but he's already so pissed. He's not even realizing who's right there. And, uh, he's like, oh yeah, I've just been crying my eyes out over my dead mom or I'm just off to do, do a bit more. And she's like, no, I was just, uh, going to tell you, you dropped your quill. <laughs> so like, okay. Man. You know how embarrassing that is? Like the girl you have a crush on, like she actually talks to you for the first time. She initiates the conversation and you're not even paying attention. You just lash out at the first person you see. And it happens to be the girl you've got a big crush on. Like, yeah, that's so, so embarrassing, embarrassing for Harry. <laughs> so embarrassing. Yeah, so those are just some of the first three that I had. But I'll let you take it from there, man. That, that's, those are exactly what I had, basically, word for word, that he lashed at Cho accidentally. You know, from there, I've got Hermione playing the middleman and Peacekeeper, trying to get Ron and Harry to be friends again, but neither one of them are kind of budging. Um, you know, Harry thinks of how simple and fun this year would have been if he wasn't selected the champion. He's like, hey, I would have been able to like laugh around along with Ron, like imagine the tasks that are coming up for the champions. I would have had no worries. You know, I, like, I wish I didn't get chosen in a way, you know? So I thought that was cool. Page 322, I have Professor Moody sees Harry with the invisibility cloak on. Uh, and so now we know that Moody's magical eye can see through not only desks like it did in the beginning when he saw uh, Parvati passing a note in class like and like reading books like his magical eye can see through invisibility cloaks which is huge because that's going to be a big part that we talk about next week of what happens there so that's a big important moment uh you know Hag Harry actually at Hagrid's request goes to his cabin with the invisibility cloak at midnight and Hagrid shows Madame Maxime the dragons which Harry deduces is the first task so and this is keep in mind why is Hagrid showing Madame Maxime this? Because she's like he knows what he knows they're going to be used for the first task, and you know, surprise, surprise, Charlie Weasley makes his reappearance here. I just put that like in a quick anecdote note, but <laughs> so it's kind of crazy because Harry notices like he like because I don't want to talk too much about the dragons right now because my interesting facts later in this episode are all, are only containing about the four dragons that we see here. So I'll just mention them by name: the Hungarian Horntail, the Common Green Welsh. The Swedish short snout and the Chinese fireball are the dragons that we see. And they each get a bit of a description. Like I said, I'll talk about that later in interesting facts. But uh, now we know what the first task is, is going to be. It's going to be getting past these dragons. And so even when Harry was leaving there, he saw Kakarov. He actually bumped into Kakarov. So now Madame Maxime knows because Hagrid took Madame Maxime there. Kakarov was sneaking around. Harry bumped into him. Luckily, he was wearing the invisibility cloak and he stayed still. And Kakarov thought it, like, it was an animal that bumped into him. So now they all know what's going to happen except one champion, which is Cedric. And we'll see what Harry does, uh, you know, being the good person that he is. Uh, he ends up telling him eventually. But um, that's where I'll let you take over from there because what are you going to have? Like the, the creepy brothers trying to make the badges say like Potter, like go Potter. And it says like Potter really stinks now. Or you got some stuff <laughs> before that? Um, I mean... But I mean, kind of at this point, I, I thought what was really funny was Snape, <laughs> you know, for Ron and Harry's detention that they had to serve. Uh, oh, they yeah. made a, he forced them to pickle rat brains. Like, that's such yeah. a Snape thing to do. Like, could you, that's messed up. <laughs> like, that's, that's <laughs> disgusting <laughs> for that. Uh, so I thought it was cool. 
Um, in kind of the film, I guess, like when Hermione's furious with Ron and Harry, this isn't even in there. And she's like, I'm not an owl. Like, I guess they were going back and forth. I guess it was like a cool, interesting line, I guess. But they were yeah, just she like was, she was playing the middle ground. She was trying to be cool with both. But like, yes. she didn't want to be taken advantage of, you know, like, I'm yeah. not saying anything. You say it to him if you want to say it. I'm not, I'm not an owl. I'm not a delivery service yeah. of messages. <laughs> yeah, man. So, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, I, I didn't mind it. Like, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, but then, you know, we kind of have that first interaction with Hermione and Crumb is what I had. Did um, you have that down yet? Or was there more you want to it. cover in there? Take it. Take that part. Yeah. Uh, so it says, Victor Crumb was in the library an awful lot, too. Harry wondered what he was up to. Was he studying or was he looking for things to help through the first task? Hermione often complained about Crumb being there. Not that he ever bothered them, but because groups of giggling girls often turned up to spy on him from behind bookshelves and Hermione found the noise distracting. Here's what I was talking about. He's not even good looking. She muttered angrily, glaring at Crumb's sharp profile. They only like him because he's famous. They wouldn't look twice at him if he couldn't do that wanky fank thing. It's a <laughs> Ronsky fank. How do you say it? Ronsky faint? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Quidditch guy, said Harry through gritted teeth. Quite apart from liking to get Quidditch terms correct, it caused him another ping in image Ron's expression if he could have heard Hermione talking about winky faints so like he at the same time it's just like he's reminiscing on missing ron because ron would have been cracking up over this and made this whole point because he's so obsessed with quidditch of course um and then i'll let you take over right after this one i just had uh you know harry winds up following hermione over to hogsmeade in the invisibility cloak um and you know that's when he goes to the sweet shop and everything but he's like being so i don't want to say i guess like harassed like that's what he does like he literally goes over to hogsmeade in the invisibility cloak which um he gets kind of found out (laughs) and i'll let you take over from there man well, yeah, so I, I've already been through that part there. Uh, if you want to, if you have anything else to catch up, in, I'm, I'm already through the part where Harry has seen the dragons and we know that they've seen it. So you're at the part where they meet right before where like Hagrid says, hey, Harry, come meet me yeah. at midnight in my cabin. So if you have anything between there and then meeting the dragons, go there because I'm, the, I'm going to pick up next uh, after they've already seen the dragons because I've been through that part myself. But if you, have, if you have other things in there that I missed or ones that are important, catch up to where... He bumps into Kakarov, who's looking at the dragons, because that's where I left off. Yeah, so I'll just kind of catch up there real quick. Um, like, you know, just like you were saying, when Harry's in Hogsmeade, one thing I thought was really cool, because, you know, Moody's magical eye, he can see under invisibility cloaks. So Hagrid and him were there, and he, like, kind of informed Hagrid. And, like, he walks over, and he's basically like, nice cloak potter <laughs> like just right there like you're found out like why are you doing this and ron's like right there on top of that like he's just like like thanks man like appreciate it like talk about throwing me under the bus um and then you know harry like sees cho chang um in like a larger group with like ravenclaw girls and stuff so i mean that kind of brings up a little bit of foreshadowing later we'll talk about um 
then from this point, uh, I think this is when you're taking over, man. Because, yeah, after that, you know, that's when it goes into Charlie. So that's all you. Okay, yeah. So if you've got something about Charlie you want to say, go, go through it. Because I'm at the point after they meet the dragons. So go through if you have anything okay. in between there. Cause, gotcha. Yeah, the last thing. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, right now where I'm at in my notes is that we've already met the dragons. All the champions know except Cedric and... That's where I'm at right now. So go uh, meet me, uh, catch up to that point, and then I'll take over from there. Yeah, no worries. Um, one, I thought it was just a really cool full circle because remember when we talked about how Charlie was like, you know, I'll see if I can get off work and come see you guys. And we're finding out it's because, of course, you know, Charlie has spent all this time in Romania working with dragons, so they need him there for this. Like, he is needed there. Uh, and the the biggest thing I'll read of this because it's just there's so this horn tail is so freaking vicious, man. Like it's I would not want to screw with this thing. So it said four fully grown, enormous, vicious-looking dragons were rearing onto their hind legs inside an enclosed fence with thick planks of wood, roaring and snorting. Torrents of fire were shooting into the dark sky from their open fanged mouths. 50 feet above the ground on their outstretched necks. There was a silvery blue one with a long pointed horn snapping and snarling at the wizards on the ground. Smooth scaled green one, which was writhing and stamping with all its might. A red one with a odd fringe of fire and gold sparks around its face. Spikes around its face, which was shooting mushroom shaped fire clouds and there and a gigantic black one, more lizard like rather than the others which was the nearest to them. And then it said it had at least 30 wizards, seven or eight, to each dragon were attempting to control them, pulling on the chains connected to the heavy leather straps around their necks and legs. Harry looked up high above him and saw the eyes of the black dragon with vertical pupils like a cat's, bulging with either fear or rage. He couldn't tell which. It was making a horrible noise, yelling and screeching scream. And this is just what I wanted to say about Charlie. He says, he mentions that these dragons shoot 20 to 40 feet. He says, keep back there, Hagrid, yelled a wizard near the fence, straining uh, on the chain, uh, straining on the chain he was holding. They can shoot fire at a range of 20 feet, you know. I've seen the horn tail do 40. And, uh, you know, the wizards were trying to stupefy the dragons. They were, like, stupefy in unison. The stunning spells were shot into the darkness like fiery rockets bursting the showers of the stars of the dragon's scaly hides. Harry watched the dragons near to them teeter dangerously on their back legs and their jaws stretch wide in silent howl. Its nostrils were suddenly devoid of flame. Though still smoking and very slowly it fell. Several tons... A scaly black dragon hit the ground with a thud that Harry could have sworn made the trees behind him quake. Like, if that's not terrifying, and what I want to bring up about this, you're having children fight these things, and you have to have 30 wizards take it down when it's already strapped down? Like, okay, like, how much do they expect of these kids? Like, you're talking 14 to 18-year-olds one each and you have 30 to one all right but i'll buy it that's cool and then from that i'll let you take it from there man it's all you cool so now we're after the part where like we meet the dragons we know what the first task is like we said like like they even bump into kakarov who was hiding looking at the dragons too 
Magna Maxime was there because Hagrid took her. So all champions except Cedric know what's going on right now. So that picks me up at page 331. Uh, the Creepy Brothers were trying to bewitch those Potter Stinks badges to say, like, support Harry <laughs> Potter. And they messed it up so bad that now it says Potter really stinks. Uh, and that that's going to play a big, not a big part, but a funny part here in just a little bit. Because now we're at the part where Sirius's head appears by flu powder. He's back in the common room. It's empty. He's about to have his conversation with Sirius Black for the first time. Face to face since he escaped with, on Buckbeak last book. So, uh, you know, what he says is, Sirius says, Dragons, we can deal with Harry. We'll get to that in a minute. I haven't got long here. I've broken into a wizarding's house to use the fire, but they could be back any time. There are things I need to warn you about. What? said Harry, feeling his spirit slip further a few notches. Surely there could be nothing worse than dragons coming. Kakarov, said Sirius. Harry, he was a Death Eater. You know what Death Eaters are, don't you? Yes. He what? He was caught. He was an Azkaban with me, but he got released. I'd bet everything. That's why Dumbledore wanted an or at Hogwarts this year to keep an eye on him. Moody caught Kakarov and put him into Azkaban in the first place. That's a big foreshadow, guys. Huge moment. Now we know Igor Kakarov's a Death Eater, and now we know Mad-Eye Moody was the one that put him in Azkaban, and that's why when they met each other, there was, like, anger and malice, and that's why Dumbledore was like, Alistair! Like, that was because their past interaction, Moody locked up Kakarov. So, that's that's good there. And uh, just to go on to their conversation a little bit, uh, they're, they're talking about what happened at the Quidditch World Cup, someone set up the Dark Mark, uh, Bertha Jorkins makes an appearance in the conversation as well. This is the crazy thing about Bertha. Exactly, Sirius said. She disappeared in Albania, and that's definitely where Voldemort was rumored to be last. That's huge. And that's something that I brought up that well, I think last week or two weeks ago um, about how in Albania was where they had last reported Voldemort being and how Bertha Jorkins was, has been missing, and that's where she went. So that's really big moment there. And then... They get interrupted by Ron. Ron interrupts and Sirius has to leave in a hurry before telling Harry what to do with the dragon. Because he was going to give Harry advice on how to beat the dragon. It's actually funny because the advice he was going to give Harry is something one of the other champions really does in the tasks. Um, but then uh, Harry like yells at Ron and throws the badge at him, hits him in the floor. He's like, there, maybe now you'll have a stupid, ugly scar too. So with that, the last thing I have on page 340... Harry tells Cedric that the first task is dragons because Harry's got a good moral core and he believes that it should be fair for everybody. He knows Crumb knows. He knows that uh, uh, Fleur Delacour knows. He knows. Now he's telling Cedric, which is going to come up big because Cedric is the kind of guy to repay back favors and that's all I'll mention about that. And I'll pass it over to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is when I want to make sure I'm not skipping anything that you wanted to put in here because... Now I'm on chapter 20, which is the first task. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no. Nope. That's where I'm at. I'm at the first task. I'm at the first task. Yep. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I put Hermione's the shit <laughs> for the first thing. <laughs> Excuse my language there. Um, because, you know, Harry's talking about uh, basically like these tasks and like what should they do about uh Kirkaroff because you know Sirius really informed them and Hermione just puts him in his place and goes let's try to keep you alive until Tuesday evening she said desperately and then we can worry about Kakaroff 
<laughs> like, we'll worry about that then. Uh, which it really shows in this book. Harry always puts things off into the last minute, like someone <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe that's why we're so in common, you know, opening the Chamber of Secrets, speaking Postletongue, Gryffindor House. It's just like me, man. <laughs> this good stuff learns the hard way every time. But gets past it. That's all that matters. Um, and then Harry uh, is reading about dragons um, in the book Men Who Love <laughs> Dragons Too Much book. And it says, dragons are extremely difficult to slay owing to the ancient magic that Im- imbues their thick hides, which none of the most powerful spells can penetrate. So it's kind of given this idea to here. Like, think about it. Like, are they really wanting people in this task to slay dragons? Like, is that really the goal here is what that brings up? And then uh, the last one, and then I'll turn it over to you, is Hermione notices Crumb again. And, it, it, like, she throws another temper tantrum and goes, oh, no, he's back. He's back again. Why can't he read his stupid sh- read on his stupid ship? Said Hermione erratically, as Victor Crumb slouched in a cast. Surely look over to the pair of them, and settled himself in a distant corner with a pile of books. Come on, Harry, we'll go back to the common room. His fan club will be here in a moment, twittering away. <laughs> it's just, just like he's not bothering anybody. I mean, we kind of get a hint of maybe what he's doing later on, right? But like he's like kind of the nicest guy like he's not bothering anybody i don't know it's kind of creepy like when we find out like what he's doing especially when we think about the age difference between some people yeah like it's kind of weird kind of creepy i do admit (laughs) that is very odd very different but at the same time i feel like he's like he's kind of that guy in this book that like everyone's just mean to like i don't know why like he doesn't do anything to like go out of his way to insult somebody he's just kind of like there like yeah he's a creepy dude he's that awkward kind of guy like imagine you saw like some he's that awkward guy in a bar that's exactly how i would describe him like if you see him in a bar like you try to have a conversation or something you can't really have a conversation because of course he doesn't understand too much of the language he kind of just sits there, like, almost like he's trying to jump in on your conversation, just stands there, like, the wheezing guy in the back, like, <sighs> and you're like, okay, we're going to be moving now. But at the same time, I got to say, like, he's not done anything to offend anybody. The dude's like a, the, say what you want, yeah, his team lost, kind of sucks, but he's a superstar Quidditch player. Like, they should be, like, enthralled to talk to this dude. And they're all just being mean, so, but whatever, man, it's cool. Except for Ron, which, you know, you know, he doesn't, he's not such a nice guy either (laughs) later on, but I'll turn it over to you, man. Awesome. I only got three more points before I begin talking about the first task. So if you've got anything that you want in between there, put that out now because I'm I'm, I'm only three bullet points away from breaking down the first task. Uh, uh, One thing that actually is like a difference from the film which we'll talk about the differences later on but like um when harry informs cedric about the dragons in the book it's like so cool he like shouts defendo like right at the perfect moment and the bag of cedric's like splits open so it gives him that reason to go talk to him in the movie he just like walks up to him he's like hey 
It's for he like runs up to him and he's like so ecstatic about it. Like first of all, no one's supposed to even know you were there. In the film, he like runs up and he's like, Cedric, they got three dragons or four dragons, one for each of us. And he like shouts it to the world. So one major plot hole from that, because no one's even supposed to know he knows about it. Uh, but like, on top of that, like the book, like J.K. Rowling gave a reason like for a way for him to do this he doesn't just run out in the spazzing out in midair they're here they're here (laughs) like so i thought that was a big issue because it was so cool the way it happened and like all his stuff went everywhere and he was like picking it up and that's when he walked over there and even like professor flitwick was who he was following was like come see me when you're done cedric like was there was even that risk of like well you're next to a professor or a teacher so and i'm not really supposed to be saying this but I don't want you to get left out either because Madame Maxine, they assume she's informing Florida Delacour. They ran into Kakarov, who they're going to assume is informing Crumb. So now you got Cedric that's like the good guy that's the last man out that's nice to everybody. Like the coolest guy really is the coolest guy. That's why I got my Cedric wand here. Always have. Always have. And, uh, you know. Not to mention he's the only one to really beat Harry in, like, a a Quidditch battle. You know, takes on some pretty big people. But we won't go into that, right? But, like, yeah, he's just getting the last man out. And no one's playing it right. So Harry does the right thing. Um, And then the other thing was here, and then I'll let you take it over. Just my last couple points here was during that whole situation, like, Moody catches... I guess, like, Harry kind of in the act of this whole thing and drags him into his office. And Harry's been in his office multiple times. This office is the same one, you know, he's been in with Lupin and, and you know, Gilderoy, Gilderoy Lockhart before back in year two. So, but remember, like, the pocket sneak scope, right? So this kind of brings up some things you'll realize later on. Um, just remember, like, what it does, like, as far as, like, if there's anyone untrustworthy around, right? But, like, he's got one on his desk, and then also on top of that, he has these dark detectors that Harry notices. Um, and Moody goes, uh, who is watching closely, Harry goes, what's that? Pointing at the squiggly golden uh, aerial in the dark detector. And he goes, a secrecy sensor. It vibrates when it detects concealment lies. No use here, of course. Too much interference, students in every direction, lying about why they haven't done their homework. I'm calling BS on that, <laughs> but okay. Uh, been humming ever since I get here. I had to disable my sneakoscope because it wouldn't stop whistling. It's extra sensitive. Uh, picks up stuff about a mile around, of course. It could be picking up more than kid stuff, he said. Um, I've And added in a growl. Like, think of that for a moment, like just what he's saying, because it comes up huge later on especially more than kids stuff like it's just amazing um and then the faux glass i thought was really cool in there uh he's like that's my faux glass it's just like all these creepy little things on there uh and he was saying like cheating is a traditional port of the triwizard tournament so he's like giving remember he was like telling harry play into your strengths because i think in everyone else's mind they kind of thought we need to slay this dragon. And I got to give Moody credit here because he's challenging Harry to think outside the box. Like, don't just go the traditional route. Um, 
and with that i'll turn it over to you man and, and this one's all yours <clears throat> awesome so one more thing i wanted to add to that uh because you did a good job de- explaining all the doc detectors now just mm-hmm. a little bit like a couple pass- uh, sentences after he introduces the faux glass he says i'm not really in trouble until i see the whites of their eyes that's when i open my trunk he let out a short harsh laugh and pointed to the large trunk under the window it had seven keyholes in a row Harry wondered what was in there until Moody's next question brought him back down to earth. So that trunk plays a really important part in all this whole story. So that's more of a foreshadow. I put that in my foreshadowed moments, but no, that's good. just too good to put that there. So yeah, like you said, Matt Moody advises Harry to play to his strengths and use simple spells to get what he needs. So Hermione and, and Harry, just to make a long story short, they just practice the summoning charm over and over again until Harry gets the hang of it the night before the task. So now I'm going to go into the task all the way through. I'm going to read it, everything I have for the first task. First thing is on page 349, Ludo Bagman tells them that their task is to collect the golden egg from the dragons. So that's their task. They don't need to kill the dragon. They don't need to do anything. They doesn't, don't need to disain, like stun him, knock him out, nothing. They just got to get the egg that the dragon is guarding. So... They go in order here. Ladies first. Fleur Delacour pulled out the Welsh green. Victor Crumb pulled out the Chinese fireball. Cedric got the Swedish short snout. And Harry got stuck with the Hungarian horntail, which I won't read too much of a description about that because it's on interesting facts. But it was the biggest, baddest of all the dragons that they saw in the woods, right? So, starting on page 354, I'm going to go ahead and dive into the first task. So... Actually, I'll start at the end of page 353. All right. He saw everything in front of him as though it was a very highly colored dream. There were hundreds and hundreds of faces staring down at him from the stands that had been magic there since he stood lasted on the spot. And there was the horn tail at the other end of the enclosure, crouched low over her clutch of eggs, her wings half-furled, her evil yellow eyes upon him. A monstrous, scaly, black lizard thrashing her spiked tail, leaving a yard-long gouge marks in the hard ground. The crowd was making a great deal of noise, but whether friendly or not, Harry didn't know or care. It was time to do what he had to do, to focus his mind entirely and absolutely upon the thing that was his only chance. He raised his wand. Accio Firebolt! He shouted. Harry waited, every fiber of him, hoping, praying. If it hadn't worked, if it wasn't coming... He seemed to be looking at everything around him through some sort of shimmering, transparent barrier like a heat haze, which made the enclosure and hundreds of faces around him swim strangely. And then he heard it. Speeding through the air behind him, he turned and saw his firebolt hurtling towards him around the edge of the woods, soaring into the enclosure and stopping dead in midair beside him, waiting for him to mount. The crowd was making even more noise. Bagman was shouting something, but Harry's ears were not working properly anymore. Listening wasn't important. He swung his legs over the broom and kicked off from the ground, and a second later, something miraculous happened. As he soared upward, the wind rushed through his hair as the crowd's faces become more and more flesh-colored pinpricks below, and the horn tail shrank to the size of a dog. He realized he had not left only the ground behind, but also his fear. He was back where he belonged. This was just another Quidditch match, that was all. Just another Quidditch match, and the horn tail was just another ugly opposing team. He looked down at the clutch of eggs and spotted the golden one gleaming against its cement-colored fellows, residing safely between the dragon's front legs. Okay, Harry told himself. Diversionary tactics. Let's go. 
He dived. The horned tail's head followed him. He knew what he was going to do and pulled out of the dive just in time. A jet of fire had been released exactly where he would have been had he not swerved away. Harry didn't care. This was no more than dodging a bludger. Great Scott, he can fly, yelled Bagman as the crowd shrieked and gasped. Are you watching this, Mr. Crumb? Harry soared higher in a circle. The horned tail was still following his progress, his head revolving on its long neck. If he kept up, it would be nicely dizzy. But better not push it too long, or it'd be breathing fire again. Harry plummeted just as the horned tail opened its mouth, but this time he was less lucky. He missed the flames, but the tail came whipping to meet him instead. And as he swerved to the left, one of the long spikes grazed his shoulder, ripping his robes. He could feel it stinging, and he could hear screaming and groans from the crowd, but the cut didn't seem to be deep. Now he zoomed around the back of the horned tail, and a possibility occurred to him. The horned tail didn't seem to want to take off. She was too protective of her eggs. Though she writhed and twisted, furling and unfurling her wings, and keeping those fearsome yellow eyes on Harry, she was afraid to move too far from them. But he had persuaded her to do it, or he'd never get there. The trick was to do it carefully and gradually. He began to fly, first this way, then the other, not near enough to make her breathe fire to stave him off, but still posing a sufficient threat to ensure she kept her eyes on him. Her head swayed this way and that way, and watching him out of those vertical pupils, her fangs bared, he flew higher. The horntail's head rose with him, her neck now stretched to its fullest extent, still swaying like a snake before its charmer. Harry rose a few more feet, and then she let out a roar of exasperation. He was like a fly to her, a fly longing to swat. Her tail thrashed again, but he was too high to reach now. She shot fire into the air, which he dodged. Her jaws opened wide. Come on, hissed Harry, swerving, tantalizing above her. Come on, get me. Up you get now. And then she reared, spreading her great black leathery wings at last, as those wide of the, as wide as those of a small airplane, and Harry dived. Before the dragon knew what he'd done or where he disappeared to, he was speeding towards the ground as fast as he could, towards the eggs, now unprotected by her clawed front legs, and he had taken his hands off the firebolt, and he had seized the golden egg. And with a spurt of energy, he was off, soaring out over the stands, the heavy egg safely under his uninjured arm, and it was as though somebody had turned the volume back up, and for the first time, he properly became aware of the noise of the crowd, screaming as loud as the Irish supporters at the World Cup. So that was the end of the first task. Harry got the golden egg, and now we await the judges' scorecard, and I have the judges' scorecard here. First off, before they get that, the big moment I had almost just completely glossed over, Ron and Hermione come into the tent before the judges' scores are given out for Harry, and Ron's like, yo, man, my bad. I know you'd have to be crazy under yourself. <laughs> I, I think someone's trying to kill you. And Harry's like, yeah, well, thanks for realizing it now, dick. And then, so anyways, they, they, they make <laughs> up. Exactly and exactly those words. I, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. guys. That, this is because... <laughs> The actual words don't matter. The fact is, is they're friends again. You know, that's the main thing. He comes in and Hermione starts crying. Like, you guys are both so stupid. Like, Harry didn't even need to hear him apologize. He's like, you know, I thought about it. He's like, it doesn't even matter, Ron. Like, you know what it is. We're best buds. We're going to have fights sometimes. But now they are back. Ron and Harry, the dream team, are back in business. And then I'll give out the scores and tell you about the second task. And then I'll give it back to Chase. So, Madame Maxime gave Harry an 8 Mr. Crouch gave Harry a 9. Dumbledore gave Harry a 9. Ludo Bagman gave Harry a 10. And Kakarov gave Harry a 4. Which was stupid. Kakarov's an idiot. But anyways, it was for a total of 40 points, which tied himself in first place with Victor Crumb. And from there, we find out the second task takes place February 24th, and the clue is inside of the Golden Egg. And I'll turn it over to you. Awesome, my man. 
Did you want to tell them? Because I was going to give you this part if you wanted it. Did you want to tell them how the other ones beat their dragons? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I can do that. Let me go ahead and, and pull it up there. So, okay. Uh, you were the best, you know, no So Cedric did this weird thing where he transfigured a rock on the ground and turned it into a dog. And he was trying to make the dragon go for the dog instead of him. Uh, but then the, the dragon decided, you know what? At the last second, he tried to get Cedric instead of the dog. But Cedric got it away, but he got burned in the process. Um, Fleur started doing a charm that put the dragon into a trance. And it worked, and it got sleepy. But then it snored, and the fire shot out, and her skirt caught fire. Um, but she was able to get the egg. Crumb, he did the confundus charm in the uh, conjunctivitis charm in the eye of the dragon. Conjunctivitis is actually an eye disease that you can get. So that's what he did. And actually, that was what Sirius Black was going to tell Harry to do before he got uh, ran out of the room because Ron appeared in the in the common room. But that's how it happened there. So Cedric tried to transfigure a rock into a dog and distract it fever tried to charm it to sleep and victor put a spell in its eye the conjunctivitis charm and that's how they all got past their dragons awesome do you want me to tell them about the second task or did you want that part uh, no all I, all I had for my part of the second task if you want to go into detail i just said it takes place february 24th and the clues inside the golden egg if you have anything you want to add to that by all means man uh all i was gonna add to that not much uh, just Bagman was telling them that their eggs have hinges and they need to solve the clue for the second task so they can uh, prepare for it. So like the hinges are a big key there um, for what he has to do with it, but you'll find out about that later. This leads us into the last chapter we'll cover today on this episode here, and that is chapter 21, the house elf liberation front. So it's only fitting, I guess, <laughs> that I, the house elves are back for me here. Uh, which, if you actually look on the screen, I did put um, one of our favorite house elves is on here. <laughs> one thing <laughs> I wanted to get... touch on, like the page right before that chapter starts, I wanted to add one more thing because I thought sure. this was pretty Go cool. Now that yeah. Ron and Harry are friends again, remember when Rita Skeeter tried to come up to him and have a word after the task? He's like, yeah, you can have a word. Goodbye. <laughs> because of all Goodbye. this up there. So yeah, that that's great. the only thing I wanted to add. But yes, now we are on that chapter and you will take it from there, brother. That was awesome, brother. Um, yeah, so, uh, of course, Harry sends Sirius a letter again, uh, keeping him informed about everything, you know, how he just beat this massive dragon. Um, and then Fred and George are throwing Harry this party uh, for completing, you know, that big first task, and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> One of these actually leads into my interesting facts later that I'll bring up. But so at this party, like, they're all telling harry like they want him to open this egg so he can find out the clue for the second task and harry's like do you want in the film he's like do you want me to open it that's pretty much what he says here it was pretty close like he doesn't say it like five times like in the film but here yeah he's like do you want me to open it and he's like really enjoying kind of this moment i think this is the first time harry's actually like really gotten to embrace the moment um besides you know being terrified for his life and getting through Tuesday and then his best friend, like they hated each other for the longest time. Right. Um, and then, so he opens this egg and then what happens is it's described as it was hollow and completely empty. But the moment Harry opened it, the most horrible noise, a bad and screeching wailing filled the room. The nearest thing to it, Harry had ever, 
ever heard was the ghost orchestra at nearly headless Nick's death day party who had all been playing the musical uh, musical uh, musical saw it's what they called it so I don't know how you would really describe that but uh, remember when we did the death day party I just imagine it's horrible <laughs> the musical saw like nails on a chalkboard yeah. with screeching and moaning that's what I thing. yeah that's what I kind of yeah um and then uh do you want to go into the what's next where you know our girl goes off about the food from the kitchen oh before that i want to make i want to just touch on um uh, two things has been fred roast percy i thought that was really funny so oh, the yeah. third paragraph um on page where is it page 366 where are you well I guess we could talk about the, um... Well, while you're looking for it, I can mention this one part, because it actually... Oh, here, no, I got it. I was I was right. You got it? I just, yeah, sorry. I, I, <laughs> I thought it was him talking to Percy, but it's him talking about Percy. So my notes okay. there. So, yeah, he goes... Because Neville says, it sounds like someone being tortured who had gone very white. You're going to have to fight the Cruciatus curse. Don't be a prat, Neville. That's illegal, said George. They wouldn't use the Cruciatus curse on the champions. I thought it sounded a bit like Percy singing. And maybe you've got to attack him while he's in the shower, Harry. That's what I wanted to put down because I thought that was really funny. So that's him. That <laughs> yeah, him. That like, ro- like that was I'm roasting Percy. And then the last paragraph on how to get into the kitchen before I'll let you talk about the the house elf thingy. So um, Hermione asks innocently, "How do you get in there?" Because that's where they got all the food for the party was the kitchens. And mm-hmm. Fred says, "Easy. Concealed door behind the painting of a bowl of fruit. Just tickle the pear and it giggles. Why?" Nothing said Hermione quickly. So, there you go. You know, and then he's like, going to try to lead the house elves out on strike now, are you? Going to give up the leaflet stuff and try to stir them into rebellion? And so people start laughing at Hermione a little bit. But that's where I'll let you take it from there about after them in the kitchen there. Yeah, man. Uh, so, at this point, what I thought was really funny was so Neville just built into just bit into what fred and george call a custard cream no canary cream canary cream because canary uh, well yeah but that's what oh. i was that's the part oh of okay gotcha josh just uh, jay nelly ruined the punchline but it's Sorry. okay man it's all good no nah, canary cream is what it is but the reason why is so neville's like choking and spits this thing out and then uh <laughs> Hermione's like just a little joke Neville um when she's like taking out a jam tart out of her mouth and then uh they said did you did you get all this from the kitchen spread and they're going back and forth about the food but about the same time what happens is they're looking at Neville and he shoots into like this diversion turning into a large canary and they're like oh sorry Neville Fred shouted over the laughter I forgot it was custard creams we hexed. And then within a minute, like, Neville had, like, molten off his feathers that had gone everywhere. And they had fallen off. And then he reappeared back into his normal form. And they go, canary creams. (laughs) It was was awesome, man. Uh, And they shouted to the entire crowd. So, of course, Fred and George are still our life of the party here, right? Um, but you know, they're going back with back and forth with Hermione and, um, what happens is, uh, you know, Hermione's like, 
you got all your food from the kitchen and they're the ones preparing it for you and they're not getting paid. And then Fred is like, yep, said Fred, grinning at her. He put on a high-pitched squeak, like imitating a house elf. He's like, anything we can do for you, sir? Anything at all? They're dreadfully helpful. <laughs> Get me a Rosox if I said I was Perkish. <laughs> and then Fred tells Hermione how to get to the into the kitchen and like where it is. He goes, it's easy. It's concealed. The door behind the painting of a bowl of fruit. Just tickle the pear and it giggles and you'll go right in. And then so, but of course like Fred and George here, like aren't even taking Hermione seriously at this point. And they're like, I'll make your food for you, sir. Oh, I'll make your food for you. A typical Fred and George here, and it just sets Hermione off. Uh, and I'll turn it back over to you, man. All right. I only got a couple more things here before we finish up and get into our foreshadowed moments. Um, what I'll do, because I think there's only three things I've got to read. I'll just read through the rest of mine really quick. Uh, page 368, the third paragraph down, Hagrid talking about the blast-ended scroots. He says, I'm not sure whether they hibernate or not. I thought we'd just try to see if they fancy the kip. We'll just settle down in these boxes. The point behind that is that there's only 10 scroots left because their desire to kill each other had not been exercised out of them when they were walking on like dogs. So they started out with one for everybody like in the class and now they're down to 10 left as these things are getting bigger because now they're approaching six feet in length. So not that's important there. Uh, second to last paragraph on page 374 talking about the, uh, we, like, we learn a little bit about the House Elf Liberation Front, that's when Ron actually comes up with that name, which is kind of funny. He said, change the name, have you? Ron said, frowning at her. What are we then, the House Elf Liberation Front? I'm not barging into that kitchen and trying to make them stop working. I'm not doing it. But that's the reason why the name of the chapter is why it's the name of the chapter, because Ron came up with the new, the new name, House Elf Liberation Front. Uh, page 375, Dobby and Harry reuniting. Thought that was a nice, cute moment. Uh... Page 376, we learn how feasts are delivered and returned. So they're like basically they have a tables set out almost placed like the Great Hall just underneath them. And they put the food on the table and it goes through the ceiling of the kitchens onto the table above in the Great Hall. So the tables are set up like identically like right below the tables in the Great Hall, the floor above. Um, Doby likes being free. It makes the other house elves uncomfortable. I wrote down in page 378. 379, uh, 379, I'm going to talk a little bit about Dobby and the, liking the wages. Uh, it, I thought it was crazy because uh, he basically said like Dumbledore was even more generous than he wanted him to be. He said, Professor Dumbledore says he will pay Dobby, sir, if Do Dobby wants paying. And so Dobby is a free elf and Dobby gets a galleon a week and one day off a month. That's not very much, Hermione shouted indignantly from the floor over Winky's continued screams and fist beating. Well, Professor Dumbledore offered Dobby 10 galleons a week and weekends off, said Dobby, suddenly giving a little shiver, as though the prospect of having so much leisure and riches was frightening. But Dobby beat him down, miss. Dobby likes freedom, miss, but he isn't wanting too much, miss. He likes work better. So I thought that was cool. Good thing about Dumbledore is he tries to pay his people fairly, and Dobby couldn't even do that. He's like, hey, man, I, I like my freedom, but that's too much. Like, yeah, you give me too much. <laughs> then Winky still thinks being freed is as low as you can get as a house elf. She starts defending Mr. Crouch when Hermione tries to comfort her. And then uh, reading <laughs> reading page 381, Winky says uh, basically that Dobby's a bad elf. He said, uh, 
Where is it? 381. Oh, you was a bad elf, Dobby, moaned Winky. My poor Mr. Crouch, what is he doing without Winky? He is needing me. He is needing my help. I is looking after the Crouches all my life, and my mother is doing it before me, and my grandmother before her. Oh, what is they saying if they knew Winky was freed? Oh, the shame. The shame. <laughs> so, thought that was funny. Then the last thing I have before the chapter ends, and I'm done with my favorite moments, is Hermione thinks it'll be good for the other elves to see how Dobby is like how happy Dobby is as a free elf because she hopes that because he likes it so much he's going to infect them with the desire to get paid and have more freedom and luxuries too and Ron's like well hopefully they don't pay too much attention to Winky instead because she hates being free so that's the last favorite moment I have I'll let you rip through yours and we'll get into the foreshadowed events and bust those out yeah man so when uh, Harry goes in there and sees Dobby like of course Dobby's like it's Dobby, sir! <laughs> of course, Dobby's back. But the biggest thing I have here is, like, when he sees Dobby, because he gave him these clothes, he's wearing, like, the strangest assortment of clothes. Like, I have clothes thrown on everywhere. It says, his assortment of garments were the strangest he had ever seen. He had done an even worse job of dressing himself than the Wizards at the World Cup. He was wearing a tea cozy for a hat, on which he had pinned a number of bright badges, a tie patterned with horseshoes over his bare chest, a pair of what looked like children's soccer shorts, and odd socks. One of these Harry saw was the black one Harry had removed from his own foot and tricked Mr. Malfoy into giving Dobby, therefore thereby setting Dobby free. The other was covered in pink and orange stripes. So it's like, what are you wearing? Like, clearly you took this to the next level. Um, you already mentioned it about Dumbledore there. Um, but one thing that was cool about when Dumbledore offered him jobs is they all had the same uniforms. Uh, so they were all given like a tea towel, but it was stamped with the Hogwarts crest uh, that was tied with uh, like a toga almost. So... It goes to show they're employed, which is really cool. So that was big on Dumbledore. Um, even Winky, you know, she was um, wearing a, like, skirt with a blouse that matched, like, a blue hat. So she clearly had more matching than Dobby did, even though she's definitely got some issues to work out. And it says describes just how she was bursting out in tears um, because, like, she was such a... think she was such a bad elf being brainwashed. Um, and it says... You know, the service was amazing. Like, the six house elves come trotting up behind, bearing the large silver tray that had the teapots and cups for Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And, of course, Ron, pissing Hermione off, just goes, Good service. That's great. That's great news. Um, and I'm just sitting here thinking, like, really, Ron? Like, WDF, man. Um, and... Then Dobby, like, uh, stops Harry and said, you know, he traveled for two years trying to get a job and, and couldn't. And that's when he was looking for a job. He decided, you know, if him and Winky worked together looking for jobs, it would be more beneficial to him. And that's when Dumbledore hired him. And you already went into the wages, uh, like, that went into there. Uh, but one thing that's big here, right, um, is Winky chimes in after she's been saying... You know, she's feels like she's a disgraced elf for getting paid. Um, and she's never sunk that low before. And it's a shame being freed. And she says, 
that like you know she's heard that um bagman is like not a good guy um and that's kind of like kind of a big thing that happens because it's kind of like one of those moments where you're like, i have that in my foreshadowed yeah i put that in my oh, foreshadow sorry. I didn't want <laughs> no to you're good from you no no you're no i'm saying like that's a good thing to have on there i, I just put it in a yeah. different category because i thought that oh kind no of, yeah you're good i yeah but yeah no so i just thought that was a big moment there that kind of like important to pay attention to um and like it's it's important to realize like even though dobby's free he still feels like a sense of a sense of it's still his fault like a sense of um almost like remorse i guess because he can't even call the malfoys like bad people really um or like down talk them or anything and like harry was telling him like it just takes practice but it just goes to show like they're not used to that yet it says old habits die hard (laughs) yeah there you go old habits die hard man you said it perfectly um so i thought that was a big moment there um and it says you know harry seized dobby by the back and pulled him up away from the table and uh when he was like you know about to punish himself and he goes thank you harry potter thank you said dobby breathlessly breathlessly rubbing his head you just need a bit of practice harry said and then that's when you know winky freaks out she's like practice squealed winky furiously you ought to be ashamed of yourself dobby talking that way about your masters they isn't my masters anymore winky said dobby defiantly Dobby doesn't care what they think anymore. Oh, you is a bad elf, Dobby, moaned Winky, tears leaking down her face once more. This is what you were saying. My poor Mr. Crouch, what is he doing without Winky? He is needing me. He is needing my help. It is looking after the Crouches all my life, and my mother is doing it before me, and my grandmother is doing it before her. Oh, what is the saying if they knew Winky was freed? Oh, a shame. What a shame. She buried her face in the skirt again and bawled. Like, can you say brainwashed? That's exactly what that is. Um, Going into the whole culture thing. And then, uh, you know, this is when Ron, Dobby tells the group that his favorite thing now is getting clothes. So Ron is like kind of growing fond of him here and offers to give him uh, one of the sweaters that Miss Weasley makes him for Christmas every year. And he's just like, do you like maroon? And he's like, Dobby would love it, sir. Dobby would be delighted. Like, would absolutely love it. And then the group winds up leaving and, you know, Dobby asks. This is a big part because it plays a big role coming up in our next episode. If he can come visit Harry Potter. And, of course, Harry's like, of course you can. And um, then that's when, you know, like you were saying, that's when the, Hermione was telling the group she thinks it's good because they're starting to develop their own conscience here of what's good and what's bad and really standing up for themselves. But um, just like that big thing I was bringing up was she starts saying and asking the group, like, what do you think Winky meant? by his bagman like with bagman being a bad man and uh that's what i had there and uh i'll let you take it away with foreshadowing events awesome 
Perfect. And just for time's sake, I'm going to go ahead and just rip through like five at a time. I'm not going to mm -hmm. take much to explain it because like we said all the time with foreshadows, they're just there. Yeah. You just point them out. So page 233, McGonagall tells the class that they are drawing near to taking their owls. That's a foreshadow for next year. I think that's something that's worth notating. In page 234, Flipwick makes them read three books to prepare for the summoning charm. The summoning charm is something that plays a role that we just talked about in the favorite moments when it comes to the first task. Page 235 and 236, Cedric Diggory is playing to enter the Triwizard Tournament. Kind of foreshadows that. Uh, the fourth paragraph, I think this is something I'm actually going to go ahead and read out. So, it's a bummer, all right, George was saying gloomily to Fred, but he won't talk to us in person. We'll have to send him the letter after all, or we'll stuff it into his hand. He can't avoid us forever. And that's kind of a wink to what you were just saying about a certain wizard um, Fred and George are trying to get in contact with. That foreshadows that conflict coming up. Page 244, Madame Maxime arrives, and she plays a big role in the next book outside of Hogwarts. I won't get too much into that. And also Igor Kakarov arrives, and he's, that's a big foreshadow because like we figured out and Sirius Black tells us that we just went over in our favorite moments, he's a Death Eater. So with those five, I'll turn it over to you, and we'll just bounce these right out. Yeah, and I can pretty much just blaze right on through my five, too. So uh, starting out in Chapter 15, uh, Bo Battens and Durmstrang. So her, uh, Harry um, is talking about you know Cedric entering the tournament, and then Hermione and Ron start bickering about it and he's like you know you just like him because he's handsome and she's like no well he's actually a prefect so they're kind of going back and forth but you can tell ron is already starting getting jealous about some things so it definitely foreshadows ron and hermione uh the next one here um i'm already at chapter 16 is there any in between there you wanted to add let's see i didn't i don't write mine by chapter i write mine by page number so i have to i've oh, got to okay. see if my if i'm still in um What's it called? Chapter fifteen or not? This yes, I still have. I, I I still have. I got. I guess I got like two in the first page before. Um, okay. Oh wait, no, yeah, I don't. Good. No, I don't. Page two forty eight. No, we're starting Goblet of Fire. Yep. So yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, I just put. Uh, so, starting the Goblet of Fire chapter, you know, Harry thinks about himself winning the Triwizard Tournament without reading you the quote there because um, it's not really that important, but it's definitely a big foreshadowing event. Like, he thinks about himself in that way. Um, also, uh, the names being submitted into Goblet of Fire underage when Dumbledore was, like, talking about that. Of course, that foreshadows, you know, Fred and George. Um, and then uh, Florida Clore, um, here's another foreshadow, is she complains about um, Harry harry and then you know moody has a big response here and his response is when she says you know she was saying you know they've all worked basically so hard for their schools and stuff i could read you the french but it's not that important but moody says maybe someone's hoping potter will die for it so that's like a big foreshadowing there and i'll let you rip through the uh some of the next few, next ones of yours man yeah so going back to the beginning of the goblet fire chapter uh, when Hermione says, for heaven's sake, Ron, he's only a Quidditch player. I thought that was funny because of how that turns out. Uh, page 250, then adding four chairs at the head of Feast outside of Dumbledore. Um, page 252, when uh, Fleur makes like, her appearance and grabs like the food from Ron's table, and Ron says, she's a Vila, he said hoarsely to Harry. thought that was important. Page 253, 
uh, talking about Cho Chang. I thought that was uh, pretty cool because he says they make because Ron was talking about the Vila. He said they don't make them like that at Hogwarts. And Ron then Harry responds without thinking. They make them okay at Hogwarts as he was looking at Cho. Uh, so I thought that was a cool little thing. Now this is the full circle of having the four chairs at the head of feast. It's that Ludo Bagman and Barty Crouch arrive, so we know they're going to be the two extra judges on top of the three heads of the school. And both Bagman and Barty Crouch play huge roles in this book. Um, Kakarov, Maxime, Dumbledore, Barty Crouch, Ludo Bagman are the judges. Kakarov notices Harry for the first time, which is big foreshadow because of we know again Kakarov's a Death Eater. And what happens at the end of this book is a, it's a big foreshadow for um, Moody versus Kakarov. Like we were talking about, you know, when he says Alistair, we already went over that there, but that's a big foreshadow of what's to come in terms of catching dark wizards and how Moody is the one that put Kakarov in there. Uh, 266 Hagrid accompanies Madame Maxime up to, up to the choosing ceremony. That's a little foreshadow of their relationship. And then page 277, Barty Crouch, he says, We must follow the rules, and the rules state clearly that those people whose name come out of the Goblet of Fire are bound to compete in the tournament. And there's a reason why Harry's name was in it to begin. And then I'll give it to you, because I'm on page now, I'm on page 278, which, let's see, that actually took me into the Four Champions chapter, but I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, no, um, actually, I'll let you keep taking it, because my next one isn't until the chapter 19 the hungarian horntail so okay awesome yeah i'll just rip right through then then um page 278 through 280 uh paragraphs five six seven and eight this is going to be a really big thing about how so i'm actually going to read it out i'm just going to talk about it because we already mentioned it about how moody so, yeah, I'm going to read it. <laughs> I'm going to read it. If anyone's got a reason <laughs> yeah. to complain, it's power grab Moody. But the funny thing is I don't have him saying a word. Why should he complain? He has a chance to compete. We've all been chosen for weeks and weeks. Honor of our school. Maybe someone hoping Potter is going to die for it, like you said. Then the extremely tense follow the roots and Ludo Bagman says, Moody, old man, what a thing to say. And we all know Moody considers a morning wasted if he hasn't discovered six plots to murder him before lunchtime. And apparently he's now teaching his students to fear assassination too. Imagining things, am I? Seeing things? Well, it was a skilled witch or wizard who put the name and boy's name in the goblet. Well, of course it was, idiot. It was, well, I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> say anything, yeah. but, uh, yeah. So that was a big thing there saying that it was a powerful witch or wizard who put the name in the goblet. Then, page 280, it says, Mr. Crouch seemed to come out of a deep reverie, which is a reverie is like, like a stupor, like a daydream. So we're, that's a foreshadow for like the stuff that's on that's occupying his mind that we actually find out next week. We'll even find out, but like that comes to a head next week at the final chapter. Um, that's a big foreshadow moment. And then on page two eighty three, I've got, um, but to get him killed, that's where I'm gonna read from. So, but to get him killed was Moody just being his paranoid self? Couldn't someone have put Harry's name as a, in the gobble as a trick, a practical joke? Did someone really want him dead? Answer is. Yes, but when he says Harry, Harry was able to answer that once. Someone wanted him to dead. Someone wanted him dead since he's been a year old. That was Lord Voldemort. But how could have Lord Voldemort ensured that Harry's name got into the Goblet of Fire? Voldemort was supposed to be very far away in some distant country and hiding, feeble and powerless. That's a huge foreshadow. Mm -hmm. And then page 296, which is in chapter 18, and I'll get it over to you, is when uh, he did so bad at the summoning charms that he had to give extra homework. 
So bad, doing bad at the summoning charms is kind of something I put just because he overcomes that for what happens in the first task. And then page 300, Harry wants to perform the Cruciatus Curse on Professor Snape. The problem with that is he actually does perform the Cruciatus Curse on somebody else in two books from now. And um, No, one book from now. That's right. Uh, yeah. He, yeah, Harry puts the Cruciatus Curse on somebody next book. And so I just thought that was a foreshadow. And then obviously, page 303, we meet Rita Skeeter. Then 309, because I'm still in chapter 18, apparently. Uh, Ollivander <laughs> talking about the wand. This is a Grigorovich creation. That's important. 310, they remind us that the same phoenix supplied the core of both Harry and Voldemort's wand. That's huge because of what happens at the end of this book, the two core wands. And then, there. Yeah, now that enters chapter 19. I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, uh, the first one I had is just what we were talking about earlier in this episode. You know, Hermione sees Crumb in the library and is, you know, basically like, what's he doing up here? Like, let's leave, Harry. Um, And so that's foreshadowing of, you know, their future. Um, And then the next one I had is when Harry sees Cho Chang. It says, uh, the night over by the door, he saw Cho and a large group of Ravenclaw friends. She wasn't wearing a cedric badge though this cheered harry up harry up slightly uh so that's like a big foreshadowing for them um we mentioned this earlier charlie tells hagrid uh actually we didn't mention this one um but charlie tells hagrid he doesn't um he doesn't um you know envy yeah he doesn't envy anyone that gets the horn tail so he said but i'll tell you this i don't envy anyone that gets the horn tail vicious thing its back ends are as dangerous as its front look um kind of a big foreshadowing there um and then the next one i'll let you take it from there because that'll be knocking out a few for me there uh sirius is discussing moody and he says Moody was attacked the night before he started at Hogwarts. Yes, I know they say it was another false alarm, Sirius said hastily, seeing Harry about uh, to speak, but I don't think so. Somehow I think someone tried to stop him from getting to Hogwarts. I think someone knew the job would be a lot more difficult with, with him around, and no one's going to look into it too closely. Mad-Eyes heard intruders a bit too often, but that doesn't mean... He can't still spot the real thing. Moody was the best Aurora the Ministry ever had. So that's a big kind of foreshadowing there, which happened. So I'll let you uh, take it from there, man. Yeah, dude, I'm just going to knock out the rest of mine because I only got about mm-hmm. 10 left. So uh, actually, you know, you actually said this one, Victor Crumb hanging out in the library. So I'll start uh, page 322, Hagrid telling uh, Harry to meet him tonight at midnight near the cabin to wear the invisibility cloak. That's when he sees the dragons. We find out <clears throat> Kakarot was a Death Eater. Page 332. Uh, this is talking about Sirius Black regarding Kakarot giving up names for his freedom. So that's how Kakarot got out of Azkaban. Was that he he pulled a Takashi 6-9 for those young kids out there. And he snitched on all his Death Eater buddies. And that's how he was able to get out of his sentence. Um, page 333. He actually just mentioned that. That was Moody and him being attacked by the dustbin. So you you already covered that one. Uh, I thought this was important, though. When we talk about Bertha Jorkins, he said, Bertha Jorkins, said Harry. Exactly, said Sirius. She disappeared in Albania, and that's definitely where Voldemort was rumored to be last. That's a big 
foreshadowed because of the information Voldemort was able to get from Bertha Jorkins that we learn about later on. Uh, Harry tells Cedric the first task is dragons, and I think that's a foreshadow for Cedric returning the favor in the second task. Um, Moody, him saying in page 343, I had to disable my sneakoscope because it wouldn't stop whistling. Well, I wonder why <laughs> why your sneakoscope wouldn't stop whistling, Mad-Eye Moody. Um, page 363. I'm going to go ahead and read the second paragraph here. Fits, doesn't it? This is talking about Kakarot being a Death Eater. It fits, doesn't it? Remember what Malfoy said on the train about his dad being friends with Kakarov? Now we know why they knew each other. They were probably running around together and masked at the World Cup. I'll tell you one thing, though, Harry. If it was Kakarov who put your name in the goblet, he's going to be feeling really stupid now, isn't he? It didn't work. You only got a scratch. But the fact that they mentioned Malfoy's dad and Kakarov knowing each other, that's a big foreshadow. Then, Professor... <laughs> This is this. I know that she doesn't try to do make these foreshadows, <laughs> but like it still always ends up happening. Uh, in page three seventy two, Professor Trelawney sees death again for Harry, and because uh, he's like, <laughs> she goes, "I arose, I settled myself before, and I gaze into its crystalline depths. And what do you think I saw gazing back at me? An ugly old bat and outsized specks." Ron muttered under his breath, and Harry fought hard to keep his face straight. Death, my dears. So she predicts his death again, but unfortunately, like it's funny because like she's a fraud, but somehow she ends up getting a lot of stuff right. <laughs> I think that's like, <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Then um, page three seventy six, Winky's at Hogwarts too in the kitchen with Dobby. That's gonna come up huge later. Um, page three eighty one, Dobby could tell Harry Potter that his old masters were bad dark wizards. That's a foreshadow for what the Malfoy family turns out to be. Because who would know better than their house elf, right? And uh, page 382, like we left off with in favorite moments, Winky saying Ludo Bagman is a bad wizard and Mr. Crouch doesn't like him. And that's the end of my foreshadows for this portion. So I'll let you go through yours and we'll move on to the potential plot holes. Yeah, just a, a few more here. So Sirius back in chapter 19, the Hungarian Horntail. Um, when he's meeting with uh, Harry, he says, I can't help thinking... The tournament would be a very good way to attack you and make it look like an accident. So that's a big foreshadow of Harry. Um, chapter 20 for the first task. Um, not the library, but actually Hermione notices Crumb um, and says, uh, why can't he just go back to his stupid ship? Um, and then like takes Harry off to the common room with her. So that's a foreshadowing of her and Crumb. Um, as far as... You mentioned Moody in the office, but there is two specific ones. You hit that big one with Trelawney. There's two other ones. People forget Harry was born July 31st, so to keep that in mind, because Professor Trelawney says, um, the position of Mars in relation to Saturn means for, for people born in July, uh, they're in danger of a very violent death. <laughs> so that's a uh, foreshadow there. Um, chapter 20, the first task, the last one here, uh, actually the same one in Professor Trelawney's class. Um, Harry comments on death and says, well, that's good, said Harry loudly, his temper getting the better of him, just as long as it's not drawn out. I don't want to suffer. So that's a big foreshadow there. Um, yeah, not the spoilers alert, but 
with that yeah man um do you want to do interesting facts first or how do you want to go about that yeah well, i'll talk cool about ones, like so. the potential plot holes so for this one like there's the, the for these chapters jk rowling's writing was fantastic i couldn't poke a lot of holes in what she's done so the only thing i'm just going to mention is that like it's very hard for me to buy that dumbledore would allow harry to compete if you're if you're supposed to be this like protective father figure type wizard and you know the triwizard tournament in the past has caused many deaths that they had to shut it down and you have to be 17 to join like i know there's a magical contract but the thing is is like the judge was like tampered with so like they can make the argument that the magical contract would be null and void because it was the curse would have that's how he got entered in the first place it wasn't even one of the schools like mad eye moody said exactly what happened he entered harry underneath a different school that happened to have the same name as hogwarts so it's like that that other school is not even competing so my point is is that they could have had any sort of precedent to be like making the contract null and void and get harry out of there which is what they should have done and mm-hmm. dumbledore's like all right whatever you can go ahead and kill yourself no problem like you know what i mean like i just don't <laughs> so buy that i just don't buy the fact <laughs> yeah. that dumbledore the headmaster the guy like everyone thinks is the hero would just allow that to happen but maybe but that's all i had i don't even think that's really a plot hole it's just me questioning is that believable because like i said the writing and during these chapters was superb but yes now did you have any plot holes or do you want me to go on interesting facts uh the only plot hole i had which wasn't really a plot hole it's more just like a question same thing because i couldn't find any major ones um just the fact that like it took 30 wizards to put down a tamed dragon and this is like professional wizards but yet you're gonna have 14 17 and 18 year olds have one each and it's just one-on-one i mean i guess if you think that much about your champions i just find it like very hard to believe same thing that if 30 wizards can barely put this thing down when it's chained up they would have them take them on one by one-on-one like at least make it like you know we had five wizards or something like that like that would be more believable to me so not really a plot hole but i mean hey if that's like how highly thought of they're supposed to be more power to them so i guess my only, only thing i was gonna say there my only uh, answer to that would be those were people the people trying to subdue the dragons and like knock them unconscious yeah. where you know in the in the task they were chained up and they were could only go a certain amount above the ground because they were on the chains there so like their their task wasn't to incapacitate the dragon it was just to get the egg and get the heck out of there because remember like yeah. once they got the egg the the 30 wizards rushed the the field and tried to subdue the dragon right afterwards mm-hmm. so like I, I i felt like that was yeah. okay but um, i want to say something about that real quick just because you uh i meant to mention this because it's such a big difference here in the movie like that's a big blow because he like breaks out of the chain this whole added scene where he's like held on to the roof of this building and then he drops his broom there like when does he that ever happen it doesn't And like the dragon like broke off the chain is flying like it's a really cool visual effect i guess like i feel like they tried to make more scenes over the top like just to get the attention but it hadn't like never happened in the book so just bringing that up but i'll let you take it away man yeah man so for me interesting facts i'm just gonna bang these out quickly uh my interesting facts were regarding the four dragons that the champions face in the first task i'll start with the common welsh green that dragon is native to wales the average length of adult dragons of the common welsh greens is 18 feet long it is a quintuple x 
on the ministry danger classification scale. They nest in higher mountain regions. These ones are green dragons with a distinctive musical roar. And there's a possibility that a young common green Welsh was the cause of the Great Fire of London. Uh, there was a big incident where one attacked sunbathers in Devon, England. And the Toke wizarding family thwarted the attack and cast the largest group of memory charms ever seen in the 20th century. And they were actually awarded Order of Merlin First Class for that. But these dragons, they prey mainly on sheep and other small mammals and try to avoid human contact in a breeze, fire, and narrow jets. The next one, the Swedish short snout, is, you know, as the name suggests, native to Sweden. Average adult length is 22 feet. It is also a quintuple X on the Ministry Danger classification scale. The scales of the Swedish short snout are silvery blue, and its powerful flame is also a brilliant blue color, hot enough to reduce timber and bone to ashes in seconds. So it's like instant molten heat. Its attractive skin is much sought after for the making of gloves and shields, and it prefers to live in wild, uninhabited areas, and since it rarely comes into contact with humans, it has, left, it has less deaths to its name than most other dragon species, and it's a, and it's a dragon species due to its uh, agile flying, that's what it's known for, its agile flying and extremely hot fire. Now the Chinese fireball, as the name suggests, it's native to China. The average adult length is 25 foot long, also a quintuple X on the Ministry Danger classification scale. They're scarlet and smooth scaled with a fringe of golden spikes around its face and eyes. The name comes from the large mushroom shaped flame it shoots out of its mouth. The fireballs are aggressive, but unlike other dragons, is more tolerant of its own kind and will sometimes consent to share its territory with up to two other dragons of the same species. They are said to be fast and clever, and generally females are larger than males, and they tend to prey on pigs and humans. Last but not least, our Hungarian Horntail. Native to Hungary, average adult length is 50 feet. So double the second largest on this <laughs> on this scale. So the Chinese fireball was the second largest, is 25 feet. The Hungarian hordetail average adult length is 50 feet, literally double. Also a quintuple X on the Ministry Danger classification scale. It's considered to be one of the most dangerous dragon breeds. It's got black scales and is lizard-like in appearance. Bronze spikes protrude from its tail, which it likes to deploy in combat. The dragon's roar is a yowling, screeching scream. And its flame has been known to reach 50 feet. And it turns pure stone red hot in seconds. We're talking about pure stone. Red hot in seconds. And it eats cattle, sheep, goats, and whenever possible, humans. The breed is especially aggressive when protecting their young and are extremely fast in flight. And those are my interesting facts for this portion. And I will turn it over to Chase to... Do his interesting facts, and then we'll close you on out and talk about next week a little bit. Yeah, man. No, that was awesome. Uh, I'm glad you hit those because those are really the most recognized dragons in the entire wizarding world, especially like the Hungarian Horntail is a beast. Um, and I know we like dragons, so I'll try to end more on that. I got a, a few facts on that. Not as cool as Josh's, but just some there but to start it off remember i was talking about the goblin rebellion so they were reading about the 18th century goblin rebellion this is cool because it relates to the house elf thing 
and we'll bring it up next episode actually because Hermione makes a little statement on it actually how they can kind of fend for themselves well basically what happened was the goblin population of the wizarding world revolted because of discrimination and prejudice that was being shown by witches witches and wizards um erg who is actually known as the unclean activist um because one reason is he never liked to shower anywhere apparently uh, but he actually led the goblin uh, rebellion um erg is actually featured on a chocolate frog card and is one of the only few um goblins to ever be featured on there um actually what happened was it got so bad uh talk about a big revolt um that the minister of magic albert boot was forced to retire in 1752 because he had mishandled that outbreak so bad um the next minister of magic that took over was basil flack his successor two months later he was forced to resign because the outbreaks and um call them you know i don't call them riots like protests were happening uh actually very interesting like kind of relatable to some of this year uh some of the social justice issues that we've seen this year so good stuff um but then uh he was forced to resign and then uh hespostus gore was the next minister so the third here that's taken over because of the situation just the situation here um uh, he was successfully uh, he successfully put down a number of revolts did come up with peace with some of them but is believed to have a refusal to most goblins because what happened was they started siding with werewolves and started making alliance packs where now you had werewolves that were asking for rights and then goblins that were trying to get rights with this um, so during 1762 Vargot, um, who is uh, a major um, known activist in the goblin world, uh, was killed in the most popular goblin battle in history. Um, and the big significance on that is he was actually described as they thought he was a disguised house elf that was actually trying to start an uprising for house elves, um, but was going under as a goblin, um, which was discovered a little bit later uh these events of this revolt occurred from 1747 to 1770 so i thought it was really cool relating to what we're talking about um you know i talked about wands like way back um in some of our sorcerer's stone episodes uh so this is where i was saving this one for victor crumb you know you talk you hit on his wand perfectly but you know we were talking about uh gringer i said gringervich how do you say it gregorovich Gregorovich, there you go. Mikhail Gregorovich. So where he got his wand from, um, he was known um, to actually have come in possession of the Elder Wand at one point. So, you know, we'll talk about the Elder Wand, you know, much long time from now, long time from now. But he was actually known as one of the biggest competitions for Ollivanders. He had a wand cart. So he used like the cart, like he didn't even have like a full shop, which was really cool. And he was really well known. Um, eventually he did have to close up shop because all of Andrew's competition got so big. Um, Victor Crumb actually even had a quote that said, I was one of the last to uh, purchase a Gregor, Gregorvich wand. Um, they're the best, although I know of course 
that you Britons set much store by Ollivanders. So very interesting there. Um, an aging potion. We talked about that. The ingredients for that that are really cool. Uh, red wine, 100 milliliters. You can put in there. Prune juice, 10 milliliters. A hairy fungus. You need two grams of that mashed up. Tortoise shell. You need two grams of that powdered. A caterpillar. Caterpillar. Go find one outside. You need five grams of that sliced and one bat tongue that is diced. Um, Alistair Moody. This is really cool. Uh, just a little bit of history on him so you have a little bit of background. Of course, he's a pure blood wizard. Uh, fought in the first and second wizarding wars. In the first wizarding wars, he was thought to have engaged in a massive battle with Death Eaters where he lost his leg and eye. Um, doesn't go into specifically what happened, but that's what is thought there. He is known to have gained and exceeds expectations on every nude exam, which is almost unheard of, which definitely won me over um, the number of things we were talking about a couple episodes ago, um, not to give anything away. But during the first Wizarding War in 1970 and 1981, he was authorized by the ministry during the first Wizarding War to perform unforgivable, unforgivable curses because of Bol Voldemort's rise to power. So this is where you kind of started, especially what we'll talk about next episode for some things that relate you know kind of those differences there fighting violence with violence um he single-handedly killed death eaters evan roser and wilkes in 1980 um igor kagor kagor uh, igor kakarov sorry i was mixing up names there igor kakarov he tracked down for six months and that's all i'll go into in that so we don't give anything away um it is said that the battle of uh, Evan Rezor was the place where he actually lost the piece of his nose that has that big hole in it um, by partially getting hit in the face um, with a curse, which is very interesting. Um, after the war, um, if what happened was he actually trained, personally trained Nymphadora Tonks. That's interesting. We hear about her later on in my favorite book. Um, in 1989... He successfully apparated to the three broomsticks to meet with Jacob Sibling, who um, was actually working on a cursed vault, which we have talked about before as far as like unspeakables and, and those sort of things. So very smart guy. He actually uh, was in charge of locating students and um, locating down rare artifacts that had gone mi uh, missing in the mystery vaults. Um, last few things here. Um, I got some things on dragons, but I did want to mention this is really cool because I actually, you know, Josh and I do watch other podcasts. This was a cool theory relating to dragons that we're going to wind up, you know, ending on here. Just a few things. Joe Rogan talked about, and this is really cool. So I don't know. I can't remember what country it was, but you can look this up on YouTube for his show. Um, there were these paintings uh, they think they're like pterodactyls or something, right? Because dinosaurs, we know pterodactyls exist with the big wings. Um, there are these small clans, actually, that do believe dragons used to exist. And their argument for it is because, for instance, like a pterodactyl's bones um, would be different because they believe these dragon bones were actually almost like birds. So birds have hollow bones that can't be fossilized. So what they were trying to say is 
these pictures that they were describing seeing like paintings on um joe rogan and his people's opinion is they're probably like pterodactyls but the argument is these small clans believe they were actually dragons because they're described as massive lizards with wings and no feathers which i thought was interesting um just something to think about which is kind of cool something you don't ever think about um different types of dragons and dragon facts real quick for you before you close out here a dragonologist studies dragons so that's what they're called a dragon dealer is in the illegal act of actually trading and selling dragon eggs notable uh, moments where dragons attacked muggles for instance uh, the great fire in london in 1666 was started by a welsh green dragon uh, 1932 a welsh green dragon attacked tilly toke who actually i talked about earlier on the episode she was one of the ones that as part of the international wizards config and she actually did win first class of um international wizards uh statute for actually slaying uh the green dragon that was take a green welsh dragon that was attacking a beach full of muggles at the time and actually did have the help of her family they used memory charms um to to basically that's literally what i said in my welsh green facts (laughs) literally the whole thing about tonk (laughs) yeah the Uh, tonk the the tonk family and how they got order of merlin first class for the memory charms they use on the muggles oh okay well that one's all you then (laughs) um i missed that completely so there you go that one's all uh josh nelly uh take a shot there but um other than that i do have so 1794 the ukrainian iron belly carried off a muggle sailing sailing a ship uh fortunately there was no one on board but it was a big deal with muggles that noticed it Uh, 1802 a norwegian ridgeback actually cast um caught part of norway on fire and actually ate a whole calf in front of a a muggle um in 1970 a rogue antipodding uh apple eye which is what they call it uh killed several kangaroos in australia uh, where and actually flew from new zealand um where it's native from uh and actually that was a big thing on the news with muggles um one of the most known dragon uh people to study dragons actually is newt scamander a lot of people don't know that um known dragon materials we've talked about dragon blood before dragon claws you know dragon dung is actually used in fertilizer in diagon alley and actually dragon eggs are banned um from using because it's illegal but many are actually used in prides uh prized potions of course you have dragon horns that are powdered used in potions um dragon livers are used in potions and dragon meat of course is valuable food spells that affect dragons we talked about this the conjuvictus curse that's the one crumb used conjunctivitis spell. how do you say it conjunctivitis yeah is that it yeah i said right? conjunctivitis yeah. yeah yeah um and then you have the stunning spell uh charlie weasley was using that we talked about that uh bewitch sleep florida core used that um here's cool dragon sanctuaries that you don't think about in romania there's a dragon sanctuary that's actually where charlie weasley was uh for your chinese dragon there's actually a chinese dragon sanctuary in china um hebrides this is interesting so 
uh, and I'll tell you about this dragon in just a minute, but they're like a small clan. Um, no one, they're, they are just a manifesting, like, really small clan that says these huge dragons, I'll tell you about. But there's one in Wales that's a sanctuary in the mountains. One in Sweden that stutters those Swedish, uh, you talked about them, Swedish snort. Now, Short snouts, the yeah. one <clears throat> The one Cedric had. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, there is a Norwegian dragon sanctuary. Of course, they study the Norwegian ridgebacks. So dragon breeds you didn't talk about, which are really cool. So the Anapedon opalage is one that's native to New Zealand uh, that I was talking about left New Zealand there. Um, they're actually considered some of the most beautiful dragons. They have pearl scales and glitter multiple colors as they fly. Um, the Hebridean black uh, which is that's that little clan that follows just these dragons wherever they go. They're native to Great Britain, uh, have dark rough scales, ridges along its back, tall tipped arrow shaped spikes, and have purple eyes, and they can grow up to 30 feet long. Uh, a Peruvian viper tooth, they have copper smooth scales and short horns on their head. Um, a Ukrainian iron belly that I mentioned, they're actually the largest dragon breed ever recorded. Um, they're a gray color, metallic gray color, said to have scales of steel, reach up to six tons. Uh, the eyes are deep red, but as they attack someone, their eyes go straight gray. Um, they think it's like, um, almost like a sonar, like how bats use that. Um, extinct dragons are the Catalinian fireball and the Portuguese snout. Um, dragon breeding, of course, the way you would do that is a newborn dragon. Uh, what all that's really said is so they can't fly until they reach six months, and you actually have to keep taking it off and on, just like Hagrid used to do the fireplace because it has to be in an open space or like whatever you want to use to heat it um, for every six months. And um, when they're hatched, they're given brandy mixed with chicken blood every half hour which makes dragon milk. Um, and they don't, like I said, they don't keep their eggs in one spaces. Here's cool, you can actually get a dragon Patronus. Um, it actually means that the person is ambitious, dominant, unafraid to take risks, uh, prefer to live their life by no rules, uh, and then um, down for any challenge. Usually these are fierce fighters. Uh, and then the last cool thing I'll mention, and then we'll be done here, is actually if you wanted to make your own custard cream or canary cream, here's how you do it. Take notes because you can bake these. Uh, I know you're a big uh, Fred and George guy, Jay Nelly, but ingredients and custard cream. So this will make 20 for you. You can actually just get a cookie sheet if you want, but if you put it in a bowl, this will make 20. Get 200 grams. Uh, so seven ounces of flour, just plain flour, uh, 50 grams, so two ounces of, uh, really it's just custard, like the Wizarding World says bird custard, but any like um, yellow, like kind of mustard custard or something, like honey mustard or something. Uh, one tablespoon of baking powder, 75 grams of sugar, so that's three ounces of sugar, a lot on there, so be careful, clog your arteries. arteries. Uh, 125 grams, so four ounces of salt, butter, and that salt and butter that needs to be. You can put it into cubes. That's how they did it, but just I would just use a measuring cup and mix all that in there. Um, one medium, one egg is all you need just to crack it in there. 
one tablespoon of milk and then this is the part you're actually going to wind up uh, you can heat that in a bakery so there's two ways to do that so it says put the flour custard powder baking powder sugar and butter into you can use a food processor um, to grind it up or you can just like whisk it in there that's what i would say do just use a whisk because a food processor is really expensive um, until the mixture resembles just like a, they said crumbs or like a blend but when you put this in the oven it's going to heat into like cookies um, so then add the milk and the egg that you had already in the mixture um, and then flatten it out on a surface so like a cookie sheet um, and then what you're going to do is you're just going to put it in the oven heat preheat it to 350 degrees fahrenheit with two baking sheets and you're going to heat it on there um, for 30 minutes is what you're going to do and then um, you're going to once it comes out it'll be basically almost in the form of like cookies or like uh, mascarones kind of thing they called it biscuits because this is from british no offense just you know biscuits mascarones whatever you call it um, and then what you're going to do is after you do that then you'll take them out let them cool off <clears throat> you'll put them back in to bake for 13 to 15 minutes so then they'll turn a darker color um, and then you're actually going to create the custard uh, or the cream filling after that uh, so just to wrap up here the cream filling how you would do that is uh, you would have uh, you would actually have let's see here for the cream filling it says just put softened butter into a large bowl with powdered sugar mix it to combine uh, and that will actually make um, you'll need to put one tablespoon of whipping cream in that and then what you're gonna do is just get a syringe and you're just gonna basically um, you know inject it into the biscuit thing and then that's actually what will make it. It says when the biscuits are cool, san or you can like sandwich it together. So like an Oreo if you wanted to with two uh, cookie-like sides that you baked. Um, and then you would wind up putting that just into a bag. And the only difference is, is it actually won't turn you into a canary. So that's all my interesting facts for that, man. Alrighty. Awesome. So this is, we were kind of continuing on with... Uh, getting into the heat of stuff, right? So we've tackled today a uh, little bit more about the Triwizard Tournament, the tasks that they faced. Uh, some more big foreshadowed key moments came up to play into this one, some full circles, some foreshadowing for even later in the book. Like, we still have a lot of the book left to go, right? So next week we'll tackle the next, the chapters, what, 22 through 28, and then we'll do two more uh, after that, and now we'll finally close out Cowboy the Fire before we do the differences episode between the book and the film. But there's a lot that uh, goes into this one. This is my favorite book. We say it every week, but I, I think one of the days, like maybe on the last day, when we talk about everything to do with Cowboy the Fire, I'm just gonna list <laughs> out the reasons why, like in like just almost as if I'm taking notes as to why it is. Just um, it, it has everything that you could want from the conflict, the like the descriptions of the supporting characters, backstories following side characters as well like you know fred and george have a lot of i would say not screen time but read time in this 
Uh, Sirius himself comes up a lot. Mad-Eye Moody has a lot of stuff. Like, the other champions, they've got their time. So there's just a lot that goes into it. And it's, uh, it's heavily detailed. And the fact that I haven't been able to find, like, a big plot hole in this section was big. Because of almost every single one of the episodes that we've done, I'm able to find one that I can really push hard and kind of make a good case that it's a plot hole. And this one here between chapters 15 and 22, I, I couldn't find anything. So this was really well written. But um, I'll say before we kind of sign off here again, guys, back in the habits of saying thanks for watching. Uh, if you liked what we do here, tell your friends about it. Follow us on the social media pages, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, the actual website that we do as well. Um, stay tuned for new updates coming on LinkedIn soon. Uh, on top of that, please click like and subscribe if you enjoy it because like we all, all the numbers that we obtain and the people that follow us will put us in a better position to keep on improving with new props, new equipment, an overall better experience for what you guys come to see. So uh, did you have anything you wanted to add before we uh, get on out of here? Yeah, man. No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, leave us a review. Those are really cool. We love the reviews on there. Um, you know, just like Josh said, uh, like, and subscribe, that really means a lot to us. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we're really in the thick of it now. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, now there's no turning back as I would say. So yeah, you want to sign us off, man? You know, I do. Alrighty guys. Thank you for sticking around. This one has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh factor fantasy signing off. off.